natural ability that's you can't coach. It's it's hard to coach. For me, he's one of the most talented players in the country. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, bang on half past seven this Tuesday morning. You are very welcome along to OTB AM. It's Jaron Owen with you all the way through until 10. Obviously, the uh, global events are absolutely unremittingly grim at the moment. And uh, as it impinges on sport, we'll cover it. But we do plan to continue talking about sport while the backdrop of uh, potential annihilation of the human race uh, carries on in the background. So if you want a place to come and be uh, a little bit informed about what's happening and the impact and how it brushes up against sport, then we're going to be here for you. But equally, uh, we're going to talk about the championship and we're going to have power rankings and we're going to keep going because... Uh, what other choice do we have, really? Yeah, I guess so. Like, I, I guess that's probably a good way of putting it. That, that uh, uh, there probably will be a bit of crossover over the next little while, a heavy degree of crossover, I suspect, over the the, the next bit. Uh, even though I think a lot of people yesterday would have been pretty surprised if FIFA have taken swift enough action on on a thing that was probably going to cause them a lot of problems anyway if they didn't do that. So um, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be plenty of uh, everything's going to be touched by this over the next little while. It already has been, and that's not going to go anywhere. But there are other matters that aren't going to be touched by this to to, to a certain degree. No, uh, not to be too much of a wanker about it, but it all feels like the painting of Icarus that Bruegel was in our English book when we were 11 or 12. So that's why it has always stayed with me. I don't know if you know this one, right? But it's like there's like this massive pastoral scene and the whole world is going about its life. But in the background, there's like the little picture of uh, Icarus and Daedalus falling into the water. It's like this... A monumental moment in human history obviously it's a myth but it's happening and everybody else is just going about their day because mm. that's what life is like we're all interested in our own we're all completely selfish um, until, until it affects us you know and, and we are mightily privileged to be the furthest part of Europe away from this like mm. uh, you know we see the scenes the horrific scenes at um, Dublin Airport of people leaving the safety of here to go to what is unimaginable levels of um, pain and danger and they're like yeah we've got to go but for the rest of us we get to sit and talk about the power rankings yeah or sit and you know talk about you know did you see this did you see that Uh, you know worry about what we're actually following on Twitter worrying about what our uh, sensitive eyes do and don't see on social media which is a privileged position for us all to be in. Yeah, 100%. So if you're uh, wondering how we're going to do it, uh, I don't know, to be honest, but we're going to keep going on because um, there's loads of sport happening and uh, sometimes it's our job to talk about that. But we'll talk about the rest of the stuff too. If you want to get involved in the conversation, feel free. If you've got questions for us, add off the ball AM on Twitter. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. Or, of course, you can always WhatsApp us 0879-180-180. That's the, uh, the number. Um, we are going to talk with Vinnie Perth just after 10 past nine this morning about the League of Ireland fixtures that were on last night. And they didn't disappoint. Uh, this, is, this is kind of, I think, the bit where uh, the whole streaming is going to come into its own because there was genuine excitement after the first two rounds of fixtures. I talked about it a bit yesterday on the show that the fact that Rovers got beaten by Derry means that we feel justified in saying there's potential for a title race this season, right? Because Rovers have already dropped points two games in. Mm. 50% win, 50% loss ratio. Now, they could win every other game from this point forward. It's possible. 
Uh, but at least in the early stages, we get to go, oh, this is going to be exciting. And there's the injection of Duffer and uh, the money in Derry and all the other storylines that we're kind of getting used to now and, and beginning to follow. Um, and then last night, Jack Byrne was unbelievable. So I, I, I wasn't watching the game, but um, they got the cut out pr- pretty quickly. It has uh, full commentary. It has crowds. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, Jack Byrne scores a goal, which is uh, the definition of a thunder bastard. It like, I know it's physically impossible, but the ball seems to get faster through the air. It seems to increase in speed. It seems to be like this does not, this doesn't make any sense. And then they're like, oh, well, I mean that that might be the best thing he's done tonight, but we're not sure. Have you seen the earlier goal where one of the greatest slide reel passes you're ever going to see? It's mm. like, it's like this guy's pretty good at football. This like the pitch is great. There's like fans in the stadium this is good yeah yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a good point I mean that, that slide rule pass wouldn't have been possible without the, the pitch being uh, like a carpet I think the commentator put it well when they said the ball was actually nestled in the top of the net which again is defying some of the laws of physics there how does how does that actually happen and the goalkeeper completely bamboozled by by Jack Byrne's goal and it is two moments of incredible magic and, and it does seem quite a bit when, when Jack Byrne is playing in the league that it's kind of like Antoine Dupont or something where you don't even need to watch France play rugby to know that if they win this guy has invariably had an absolutely amazing game and uh, it's just whenever Chad McRover's got the job done you're like Jack Byrne was mad at the match again Jack Byrne had a, had a very good match and uh, he only played an hour last night you talk about the possibility of there being a title race Jack Byrne coming off and I think Graham Burke coming on is as uh, strong a substitution as you're likely going to see from the league this year involving two players so that gives them uh, a real that that gives me a real sense that this this squad there's absolutely no problems with them and there may be a few hiccups early on but they would still be um, quite heavy favourites to to go and win this like the the defeat to Derry was fun because it was tetchy and uh, Jack Byrne was going in uh, heavily on on players that that went over by the sideline they got him booked um, in, in that encounter that's what you want to see, yeah. uh, and then uh, a couple of days later, he goes uh, he goes full Perlo as opposed to Roy Keane. So a um, bit of both. Uh, yeah, the other thing that happened that went viral last night was the sprinkler system out in um, in Belfield was not playing ball, and uh, so it finished UCD nil, Shelburne nil. Uh, sprinklers add to damn squib is the headline in the Irish Times. Uh, we'll bring you that video a little bit later on, but I'm sure you've seen it by now. And um, it turns out that uh, you were saying you learn something new every day. Yeah, like I, I, day. I haven't seen uh, the use of a wheelbarrow uh, in terms of combating a sprinkler before. Like sp- sprinklers are, I mean, they, they, they have a kind of a mind of their own. I, I often think that there is just like somebody in the background often with a sprinkler just wait, waiting to turn it on, especially Premier League matches when there's pundits at the side and they're like, ah, don't really like, don't, yeah, not really a fan of of Steve McManaman's uh, punditry and it's like ha 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 this will get me half a million views on Twitter if I turn this on so that's what I kind of see it as in an English sense and then last night it was like right okay this thing has gone off it's, we've got a rogue sprinkler how do we stop it and, and a wheelbarrow is utilised and it worked uh, by all accounts I, I've only seen the, the well they lost 8 minutes they did lose 8 minutes but the video kind of stops when the um the stream of water is kind of just getting sheltered a little bit by by the wheelbarrow. So I presume that was that was the end of it. And uh, if you do have a rogue sprinkler going off in your locality this morning, go get a wheelbarrow off one of your neighbours and uh, go and fix that problem for yourself. There was loads of Irish interest in the West Brom Swansea City game last night as well. Darroche came off at half time, and I was I was feverishly searching Twitter to see if there was any sign of an injury or whatever, but uh, it, I couldn't 
actually establish what was the cause of that. It was West Brom nil, Swansea City 2. Michael Obafemi started up front on his own for Swansea, who also had Cyrus Christie and Ryan Manning in their team. Manning was playing part of a back three, if the live score formation is to be believed. Um, and Callum Robinson played the full game as well. So uh, one of those situations where Jason Malumby started but got taken off is... Um, is, is has Steve Bruce had a win yet? Is there? Has he? Has he? Don't think so. It's not gone overly well, has it? He'd be sackable now if he was the manager who was presiding over this current run of form since he got there. The new manager's bounce has not happened. So, um, yeah. But the other thing of, of particular note from an Irish football perspective is in the Herald and the Irish Indo this morning. Uh, it's a great story from Aidan Fitzmaurice who has spoken to Mipo Odebeku who says. He's going to play for Ireland. So you might remember he had begun to get around the fringes of the West Ham team, had come off the bench in a couple of cup matches, including against Manchester United. And at that stage, we were like, well, great, because he played for Ireland under 17s and he was named in an under 21 squad, but declined the opportunity to join up. There wasn't any specific reason given, but I mean, here's a player who's qualified for a at least three teams um, who is you know slowly making decisions about whether or not he's going to play for Ireland the worst the worst fears that we had were that he was going to play for somebody else I mean let's face it we all feared that he was going to like make the West Ham team start scoring goals for them and then there would be two people at West Ham who had played underage for Ireland who uh, we were very jealous of but he has confirmed today to Aidan Fitzmaurice that he had no doubt he grew up in Talla uh, I was around the first team at West Ham they came at a time when I was solely focused on West Ham and getting into the first team in recent times for call-ups that was my focus I didn't want anything to get in the way of that that could have been taken the wrong way but I've never taken my eyes off Ireland I was born and bred in Tala he was born and bred in Tala but he moved when he was 12 to Manchester United was on the same team as uh, as Anthony Alanga went to school there now obviously living in London um, with West Ham he's on loan with Doncaster at the moment is he? yeah on loan at Doncaster and uh, he was on loan with Huddersfield for a period of this season as well and it, there was just, I think there was just a real sense of him not picking up the phone to, to play underage football with Ireland over the last little while and that naturally is going to give Ireland fans uh, a bit of an alarm bell but uh, he said there that he was just focusing on his club career and to be fair to him he was just on the fringes of the West Ham United team he was playing in the FA Cup he'd got a, got an appearance there and, and it looked like he was going to and I think he did make the, the bench in the Premier League so um, like he, if that's what he's saying now and this turns out to be um, a, a player who does come and play with the Republic of Ireland then I guess you can't really blame anybody for doing that like if, if we're trying to, to look at how far this guy can go I mean he's still only 19 years of age at this point there it, it's still very much a, a case of him developing and uh, it looked like that that development may actually happen at West Ham but then they obviously made the decision to put him out on loan this season he's got a, a highlights package on YouTube uh, 18 year old uh, Odebeko is too good for his age uh, is a, a YouTube uh, video that went up last year so uh, that is your uh, scouting report on him that uh, some a kid called ZA45 Football has uh, said that he's too good for his age. Well, fair, fair play and hopefully he's correct and um, he makes the Ireland uh, senior squad sooner rather than later on the basis of the form at the moment. The form isn't, wouldn't justify a senior call-up but presumably he'll be back in the under-21 squad sooner rather than later. So that's good news coming from the Herald and the Independent through Aidan Fitzmaurice this morning. Let me tell you about what's coming up on the, the rest of the show today. 
Uh, we're going to hear from Jack Byrne, who was talking to Nathan in the aftermath of his uh, dazzling bravura performance last night. Uh, power rankings at 7.50, an update, an emergency update to the power rankings from Owen Sheehan. We've got Ross Hamilton, a rugby analyst, uh, giving us three pieces of stats from the Six Nations so far. Ireland's rook speeds, the England power game in particular, and France overall. Bringing through the sports pages at 8.30, we'll get John Duggan's take on what's going on with Russia at 8.35. Obviously, he spent a good bit of time there during the World Cup. Molly Scott, Ireland's fastest woman as it stands at the moment, is going to talk to us about uh, her her work-life balance where she is uh, Ireland's fastest woman and also a trainee barrister. So one of those high achievers in life um, who hopefully will inspire you to get up off your arse and do something today. Uh, Vinnie Perth's going to join us in studio at 10 past nine to run us through where he thinks the League of Ireland season is going so far. And then some Jason McAteer goodness in the aftermath of the cup final victory in the future for Cueve and Kelleher on the football show last night. At uh, 7.42 though, a uh, couple of quick comments for you. Great win for Bowes last night, says MOC. And Shifty Lad says, just like they found out the universe is speeding up away from us, in future Jack Burns' shot speed, up the quicker it got to the net. Physics are our best guess at our particular moment in time. <laughs> it's true. OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish. I'm uh, hoping now that um, some of the gremlins we've had in our system this morning are going to allow us to play this video. It's Jack Byrne speaking with Nathan Murphy. It's a long time without football, and I know from chatting to you that like you love the game, you love talking about it, you love watching it. But more than that, and you love being out there and playing. How you found being back, and how much are you enjoying it? Yeah, well, it's you know you can't score goals like that sitting at home. You know what I mean? So it's uh, it's great to be back, and and uh, I just I, miss, I did miss it, like you know what I mean. I missed I miss being out there. I missed. Uh, you know the feeling you get when you're on the pitch the feeling when you're finding your, your, your rhythm and you know obviously you miss it. it was a long time out for me but you know it was quite a quite a big up that I had so uh, it was important for me to get that right and I feel good now at the moment I feel like I can I can kick on I feel comfortable so um, it's just about getting the match minutes underneath, underneath my belt and, and um, you know hopefully uh, hopefully just kicking on What is kicking on? Because I was talking to Stephen about when you left you were the best player in the league you want to be the best player in the league maybe you are already the best player in the league again but like your ambition may not stop there Or how do you think about that and, and your role at the club and your role in the league even just trying to do the best I can I, I can do with myself and, and uh, you know if I, could, if I could look at myself in the mirror and say you know I'm trying my hardest and I'm, and, 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 and I'm giving it my best um, it's not to say that we're going to win every game or you know I'm going to score a goal like that every game or get an assist like that every game but if I'm trying to do that then if I can look at myself in the mirror you know I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that and then see where it, just see where it takes me you know what I mean It's if it means I, I, I stay here forever if it means something else happens then so be it but I can't say that now from from uh, from standing here you know you don't know what if someone had said to me you'd be end up at Apoel last time I would have said no I would never even thought about it so you don't know what what presents itself, so you need to just make sure that you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm ready for for yeah. whatever comes. An older, wiser Jack Byrne. Is that what your teammates would say compared to when you left to the guy who returned? I don't know. To be honest, they probably still think I'm the same uh, the same madman. <laughs> do, you, do you see yourself different? Do you see yourself? Do you see your role around the place as different? Um, yeah, but I don't want to like I don't want to overstep me 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 market. I'm a player, like you know what I mean. Like I'll come here. To try and do what I did the last time, try and win a cup, try and win a league, try and qualify for Europe. I don't want to, you know, think I'm anything different or try and talk down to people and say, well, you should be doing this because it's, you know what I mean? it's not like that. It's just, 
you know, would probably have a, a little bit more older, a little bit more experienced. Um, so if we can help, I'll, I'll certainly help. But, you know, we know that helping probably the most for me is leading from with performances. Just talking to Steve McPhail earlier, like one of the most technically gifted players Ireland has ever produced, even thinking back to his short yeah. time at Rovers. Like for you as a midfielder, what are you learning off him? How much time do you spend chatting to him? Frustration. <laughs> <laughs> if he trains with it, he's still the best player. Looking out there with Glenn Yeah, he's a, he's a serious player, Mac. Um, but not only that, the stuff he's done for the club, um, taking the club to where you know it is at the moment, um, he's done an unbelievable job. Um, he's a great person you know what he does for the kids in the academy and stuff is uh, is phenomenal so um, you know to have him around and, and to have people like that in Irish football is uh, is only a good thing but I think you know people in Irish football could use someone like Stephen McPhail even more and it's not um, it's not you know Alan Caffrey at, at Shelbourne another unbelievable football person Um you know, I think the FAI people like that, it's not a competition with with them kind of people. If we, if we can use them people more in Irish football, for the better of Irish football, we should do it, you know what I mean? So um, it's not clubs trying to get one up on, on, on somebody or anything like that, you know what I mean? I played for Kevin's as a kid and, and, and uh, Kaffa was, was there and I know how, how good he is. And, um, you know, same as Stephen McPhail. So, you know, more people we can have like that in Irish football, if they work together... You know, it's only going to be better. It's always been the difficulty for Irish football because the competition is obviously on the pitch and league titles, but off the pitch, there's always a sense the teams need to work together to grow the league. And it does feel as though there's a bit of a buzz around the league at the moment. And even the results, obviously, you weren't happy on Friday night, but it means it's quite condensed. There's three games gone, everybody's dropping points. It's for the neutral. It's pretty exciting. It gets it gets a bit of interest flowing. Yeah, it's competitive, like you know, and and you know, up and up, up and there, you don't know. We don't want to go up there and play Derry with. You know, a man and his dog watching the game. You know, we want to go up there where it's where it's hostile. Half of the town are out watching the game, wanting you to, you know, lose the game. That's what we want. We want that when they come down here. You know, so uh, our fans have been unbelievable this 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 uh, this year and since we've come back. So, you know, we want that. Like, you know what I mean? We don't want we don't want the league handed to us if we're going to win the league. We don't want the cup or we don't want anything handed to us. You know, we want to go and win it. And if someone else takes it off us. Well done, fair play. That's the way it should be. Um, so, uh, look, that's that's better for Irish football, and that's what we all want. And, and um, you know, there's a buzz about the league, some good players in the league. Long may it continue. Finally, whenever Jack Byrne does something pretty special, you know from the last time you were here, the talk starts about Ireland and Ireland squads. We're, what, about a month away from two friendlies, Belgium and Lithuania. Like, are you thinking about that? or no. Do you know where you are? Have you spoken to Stephen Kenny? Uh, it, do you know what Stephen texted me um, the, if, before the UCD game and he said you know obviously uh, well done getting back from, from the injury and, and it actually gave me a bit of a a bit of a lift probably you know it was uh, it was nice it was it was uh, it was genuine you know so um, you know we couldn't I, I couldn't explain the kind of lift that it gave me but it gave me something you know it kind of gave right. me yeah it just it was nice of him to do that and um, he didn't have to do it you know so um, 
do I think will be in in the squad? It's nothing like that, you know. I, I need to do more of that. I need to score more 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 goals, get more assists. But um, do I think I could I could be at some stage again? Yeah, of course I do. You know what I mean? Of course I I I want to set them them targets, but. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, and it's it's. I need to do what I did when I was when I was here the last time. If I'm going to be talked about, you know, anything, um, progressing for myself, it's you know, play well on a on a regular basis, be consistent, um, and try and do well. But it's you know, it's it, it's it's not going to be be given to me. I have to go and 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 try and take it uh, along with everything, you know. I say you miss Cyprus that you're not stuck at 11 o'clock on a Monday night talking to me in about minus three. Have to love it, you know. <laughs> and this is why we do it. This is why we love it, you know. And uh, it's uh, it's good to be back, and, and it's it's good to it's good to you know see the buzz about about the league because it's it's certainly different than when I left. Yeah, great stuff, Jack. Thanks. It's uh, Jack Byrne in conversation with Nathan Murphy after an incredible performance from him last night and a big win for Rovers 3-1 we'll talk about that in more detail with Vinnie Perth a little bit later on at 7.50 though it's time for us to get into the single most important piece that we do it is the sometimes correct sometimes incorrect this one's an emergency break glass for the power rankings some of these critics these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from but they're, they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team all you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency but they just dismiss you like, like you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion who is that at the start giving out about these critics these pundits do you know oh god it's like a quiz question now where you just heard the voice and it's ringing a bell Pundits, out. Oh, it's it's not Tommy Walsh, is it? Don't think so. No, it's 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 in that general wheelhouse of Midlands slash Kilkenny accent, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. You seem to be suggesting uh, bad stuff about that accent, and uh, you know, a, lo- a lot of us are drawn to it. It's, hur- it's definitely a hurling accent. It's not a football accent. Okay. Well, we've already got off to a controversial start. Where are we starting now? <laughs> Sorry for causing offence. Um, number 32 is Waterford. They stay put. They lost Leach with the weekend. Number 31 is Carlo also staying put. Uh, Wicklow dropping down to, to 30th this week. They're staring down the barrel of relegation back to Division 4. They beat Cavan last year in that playoff, which was a surprise. But it's been all downhill for them since then. And they're going to be playing their football, I'd suspect, in uh, Division 4 once again next year. Despite a, a decent result in, in Round 2 against Fermanagh when they got a draw. Uh, Wexford uh, take their place. Uh, in one of the higher reaches they're up to 29th uh, Tipperary finally got a win at the weekend they beat Sligo a big win for them uh, Leitrim in 27th uh, after their win against Waterford London uh, their first defeat at the weekend of the season I should say they lost to Wexford at the weekend and then Sligo uh, as I said they also suffered their first defeat of the season they lost to Tipperary Division 4 is chaotic and uh, it's very very hard to put a, a really fine order on it that's so, good though it should be chaotic it, uh, like I guess um, the thing is that those teams are up there in that order which means that that is the correct order of them because they seem to be appearing in my power ranking so I guess that's that more important than the actual league tables of course 100% we have established this in uh, 24th position is uh, Longford who are back a little bit they lost to Fermanagh by 7 points at the weekend Fermanagh uh, leapfrogging them they're in 23rd they've had a bit of a mixed season they started the, the campaign by losing to Antrim by 9 points but that win against Longford at the weekend maybe a little bit back on track at the moment Antrim uh, they drew with Leash at the weekend they're 22nd and uh, Limerick could be one of the stories of the year so far uh, Look, Antrim are looking at, at Division 2 football next season 
Yeah. If they make it, that is one of the great managerial achievements, I would say, of any era. Like, you, you come into a situation where there has been nothing, no progress, no, no sustained ability to go on a run, no winning of games. Like, if their record in the Ultra Championship is one of the all-time great losingest things in world sport. Like, was there a decade where they didn't win a single match? I think there was. There might have been. And uh, do you know what it's going to be? Is It's going to be Enden McGinley versus Mickey Hart to determine who might go up with Limerick from that division. I think uh, Westmead and maybe even and, and uh, Leach and uh, Fermanagh, it's, again, another chaotic division, will have something to say about that. But at the moment, Antrim and Loud put on five points behind Limerick on six. Like, and Antrim and Loud haven't played each other, so that's going to be a hell of a matchup. I see Enda McGinley got sent off at the weekend, uh, so uh, <laughs> he's really thrown his lot in with, with Antrim. They've been brilliant over the last little while, but I do think like, now they're our team to watch in that division at the moment. Not to overstate things, but like, say, I mean, the Hurlers should have beaten Waterford at the weekend, the last minute penalty saved, right? Mm. That was the Waterford team that I was like, number one in the power rankings. If, if Limerick get turned over again, it's time for us to really think about this Waterford team and the way they're going. Uh, and then obviously Galway got turned over so probably Wexford are pretty close to it I mean we were kind of slagging off the uh, power rankings from the hurling pod going ah you put Wexford at the top just to, but actually they were bloody good Yeah, and so you can justify it so Waterford are going really well the, the Antrim Hurlers are actually going quite well the Antrim Hurlers and the Antrim Football are going well simultaneously and the prospect of Casement getting redeveloped it would be like Time finally finally this massive power base is being awakened and uh, we might see some good stuff in the future. Look at you with your smug face. No, I'm, look, I'm actually look not smug at all. I'm actually just smiling. I'm, I'm being. I'm happy for you. Patronising. I'm ha- no, I'm happy for you. Kildare football is going well. Antrim going well as an institution. I mean, that's that's. All, they're all your. What more could you look for? They're all your pies and your fingers. <laughs> what a, what a, my meaty fingers. What a, a lovely image you've given the good people this morning as they choke on their breakfast, Owen. Uh, Limerick in at uh, number 21 they beat Wicklow at the weekend this looked like an absolutely chaotic game uh, second half black cards for Ian Corbett and Josh Ryan for Limerick and also Limerick's Brian O'Donovan was sent off in that second half alone Hugh Burke has been one of their stars of uh, the league so far he kicked another four points at the weekend so Limerick going very strong in that division Leash down a spot in 20th I do think that their league position is lying a little bit I think they'll be in with a promotion push but they're slipping a little bit at the moment to say the least their draw at Antrim at the weekend Loud already touched on that. Uh, they were in at 19th. I think they were a real, real shout of getting promoted at this point. Sam Mulroy with another 11 points. Like two excellent wins back to back. They beat Limerick uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or last week, and then they beat Westmeath uh, by two points at the weekend. So they've recovered well from that opening day defeat to Leash. Offaly are in at uh, number 18 then. See, Willow Callaghan was uh, leading the charge on social media last night of the sense of injustice after that late, late Meath goal, which they reckon was a square ball. That game ended up in a draw. It probably would have been a, a situation of strapping this Offaly team to a rocket in the power rankings had they actually beaten Meath or had they actually got uh, one of these uh, wins so far. But it just hasn't happened for them. The game against Galway the previous week was postponed and then they had defeats to Clare and uh, Derry so far. Uh, Cork's staying put really at 17th at the moment it's just hard to see who you put above them at the moment That despite the fact that they lost to Galway comfortably at the weekend Westmeath are down to 16th I get a lot of abuse for my love affair at Westmeath so far this year but uh, John Heslin uh, a bit of a one man team for them at the weekend and that loss to Louth he kicked 110 in that Ooh. match uh, Cavan are up to 15th I think uh, there's no question about who the best team in Division 4 is at the moment and uh, I'm not sure has Division 4 team ever been as high as 15 Who uh, I, you, so I'm, I'm nitpicking here right 
If Cavan were to play down in the first round of the Ulster Football Championship, who would you make as favourites? Down. I mean, you wouldn't though, really. Mm. Like, I mean, down did draw with Meath. I know Meath aren't uh, in amazing shape a couple of uh, weeks ago. This is one of the worst Meath teams that we've seen. Like, Meath are in danger of not being able to play in the Sam Maguire. And like I, I I know that, but like Meath haven't exactly been beaten in every single game in Division Two either. Like I mean, they they're unbeaten in two games. Let's let's not forget that. Okay. Like it's, and I fairness, think Galway are pretty good, and they, but they beat them at the gate. Um, like it wasn't. And Ross Common was ordered to defeat. Yeah. Who were, who were possibly going to be the two teams that got promoted? Yeah, Ross Common also beat them at the gate. I I no just points. think that so I I think this is really important, and this is one of the things that was completely missed by the idiotic uh, rejection of the original proposals. Cavan's surge of confidence from winning games in Division 4 should give them an opportunity ahead of a team like Down who are in freefall. Oh, listen. Right? I, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I actually think that in the championship, you're going to see if those two teams were to come up against each other, that Cavan will use the bounce of good quality opposition, which it is. Division 4 is way better than it used to be. And, uh, and winning games, that's why those teams deserve their opportunity. Mm. That that's all that was about. Now listen, it is close. Like it's it's very very close. I I, I just want to see. And I know that they don't care about this one bit. I kind of want to see one sort of signature win from Cavan in Division Four. Like they're winning the games by four or five six points at the moment. It doesn't matter though. They're winning the games. They probably know before the ball is thrown in that they've got a good chance of winning the games. There's no point in hammering anybody. And they all the take on a life of their own, don't they? If you got five five points up, you you kill the game as opposed to true and conditions. No doubt in in three of those games. Well, I, I suppose they've only played three games. Their, their, their third one was, was postponed. The draw is Antrim Cavan, and then the winners of that play Donegal Armagh. So okay. Cavan are going to have a good opportunity. You'd make Cavan favourites against Antrim from the basis of tradition, even though you're watching that game. Though. Them. Yeah, you absolutely. I'm getting my VPN for BBC that day. And uh, the the winners of Donegal Armagh, that could be either team at this stage. Um, Armagh's slight favourites, I suspect, on the day. Uh, I don't know where that's going to be, but um, you would make the winners of Donegal Armagh five point favourites over Antrim Cavan. Five to seven point favourites. Yes, yeah, you would. Now, in fairness, like I'm, not, I'm not completely shooting down the whole our cabin better than down thing, but I'm edging down just at the moment. It's, I, I'd love to see it. Well, here's the thing: we it. won't see it because the only way we'd see it is in an Ulster final, and that That's unfortunately gonna ain't going to happen. We might see it in the qualifiers. Meath <clears throat> um, are in at thirteenth. They uh, drew it awfully at the weekend, as we've already mentioned. Hard to put putting Meath up at this time of year when. They need a last gas goal to to draw. Well, it's, it's Westmeath dropping. Like I've plundered Westmeath. Why did Westmeath? Who, who West? What was the Louth. Louth hammered them? No, they beat them by two points only at the weekend. But I think like it's a more a division costly, lower. They're a division lower, and uh, losing in Division Three is more costly, and it should have them lower than drawing a game in Division Two. That that's and, and maybe I did like I mean Loudmeath play in Championship. What's the what's the spread? Meath minus three. I think it's me minus one and I'm not sure who I'm backing. <laughs> Depends where the game is on, I guess. In uh, in Park Talton, you'd, you'd have to give me the, a, a heavy chance of winning that. But yeah, no, I, I think I think me minus a, a couple of points in that one. Uh, Clare in at 12. They lost to Derry at the weekend. Derry uh, looking like they're definitely going to get promoted at this point. Ross Common are in at 11. Derry, as I mentioned, they're at number 10. And uh, Galway at 9. Is that correct? Yep. No, what yes, it want? is. Yes, what, that is correct. No, what? the screen is correct. The yeah, screen is okay. correct. It's my, uh, <laughs> it's, I just didn't change the numbers on on my actual uh, so Word what, what, doc here. What, uh, no, the order is absolutely spot on. I just didn't change the numbers beside them. Go kick three twenty two last week. 
in in one game. Um, Miles was on yesterday saying he thinks Meath have scored roughly forty points so far in the league, and Galway did it in one game, nearly. They did three quarters of it in one game. This is what I, I was very tempted to bring Galway into the top eight this week and drop Monaghan down to ninth. But you were you would have done it if Kildare had been beaten by Dublin. They were straight out, right? You would have put Kildare behind Derry and Galway. Quite possibly. That was that was the latter. Yeah, as as the Doves marched forward trying to score a goal in the last couple of minutes, you were like, no, Kildare were behind them last week. Yeah, they were. That's why that's why my numbers are all mixed up because I forgot that it's actually the team parachuted from that cluster. Well, I was going to say they're not on page two anymore. Where are they? Right into the top six. So number eight is Monaghan. They're down a couple of places into eighth. Dublin are down a couple of places as well into 7th the last time they lost 5 league championship games on the spin was 1973 and next week Dublin are already looking at permutations to stave off relegation if they lose and Kildare win Dublin are going to get relegated with 2 games to spare Kildare up 4 places to 6th after what, what I think is a significant win against Dublin and you may have a lot of people who uh, have got long memories coming out of if, Kil- if Kildare lose to Dublin in the championship this year be like ah you boys celebrated too much and all that but I still think it, it could, nah, it could go beyond it's a along the way it could go beyond that and, and I think it's a, it's a significant win and, and, and they're awarded it's a, it's a rebirth six. that's what's happening Kildare football is back and it's going to be back for the next decade because people who really care about it are in charge and people who are really emotionally invested in what the outcomes are are in charge they've got the lucky mascot of Charlie McCreevy on the bench I don't know what's going on there but he's yeah like, what is going on there do you uh, having a clue <laughs> I don't know if he's like um, if he's the team treasurer or something if he's helping them out with uh, making sure that they have all the finance they need I have not got a clue I haven't heard the story and I'm interested in the deep dive about when it happens about what he's doing on the bench because it's not like you know is, is there any person he's not a county board official it's like he's, he's a lucky mascot Everybody goes off and rubs his head like uh, uh, who used to kiss Fabian Barthez's head? Was it Laurent Blanc? I'm not sure if there's a famous person from Kildare who's been left off this movement for the last little while. <laughs> Christy like, Moore. I mean, Christy Moore, yourself and Joe, that's about <laughs> it. That's the, the, the three of you and, and maybe uh, Ruby. Uh, and uh, that's the entire list of Kildare people who aren't involved at some stage with this Kildare team. So they've definitely tapped into everything that they've got going but for them. But that's what you should do. Oh, well, I mean, there's obviously they're missing the the crowning glory, which is Paul Meskel. Okay, <laughs> like uh, on the pitch, they need they need a shot of Meskel in the crowd in Newbridge to like fully take this to the next level. It's like come back from wherever you are in the world, Hollywood or London, wherever. Come back just for, just for a few games. Do you, uh, at what stage do you think Paul Meskel will go to again? Do you think he's like looking at these results and saying Leinster final, I'd be all right, or do you think he's saying to himself? They're winning a lot of games. I want to get in early at championship level. Well, if you if you're the county board, aren't you saying come to the the final home game of the league season because that transforms that that that's lit. And if you're Paul Meskel, what's what's in it for him? Well, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? You're walking in and it's like there's 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 events on the field and then there's events in the stands. It's like. Oh. But should so the, like I mean, could he, what could I he, think free entry? Could he take the Mickey jokes though? I'm not sure he could. No, There'd I be don't. too many from the wags in the crowd. Maybe he has to wait for his his like uh, that. He has to work through those issues. You know, an Irish male, very proud of the work that you've done, but also now there to be shot at by by your own people. Does he get brought on at halftime at St Conlet's Park to wave? Oh, why not? Like you know, Katie Taylor with her her stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ken Doherty. does he need an award? Does he like? Would he have to like take out a, an actual award, or is it like 
the fact that they're oh, nominated, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's like it's different. It's just a five hundred euro pair of Gucci shorts that he holds up and like parades around <laughs> the park, and that's it. No, they're like the ten ninety nine. The ten ninety nine O'Neills. Yeah, yeah. Like he should just should he, does he have to come out in his shorts? He should just, he, he he should just actually just become the Kildare mascot, except the mascot is just a fully togged off lad. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing like number twenty-seven. <laughs> I mean, sorry, that that word has multiple. <laughs> I didn't know which way you meant it. <laughs> okay, we're all getting fired. <laughs> yeah, so Kildare up to sixth. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Who's fifth? That one. <laughs> Funny goal. Donegal are up to fifth. Um, <laughs> yeah, they beat Tyrone, but um, I've left them below Tyrone, which uh, I don't think people will be overly pleased with if they're from Donegal. I just, like, I watched this game on Saturday night, and I think that there's a case we made that the second best team won the game on the night. And I, I, I think it's just hard to say if you play this game 10 times and you go from Bally Buffet to Oma, do Donegal win six of them? which is what you would require for them to to be put above the throne and I don't think they would and yes that takes into account that they're still missing Murphy but I, I don't know when he, well, I don't know, I don't know how yeah. easily he's going to reintegrate into the team uh, Brawley was saying in his piece in the Sindo wouldn't it be great if Donegal could play matches in Bally Buffet all the time because yeah. otherwise they're going to be in trouble he thought that they were not great to watch and kind of very fortunate to win that game that it looked like Tyrone were going to blow them out like it must have some sort of magic powers because it did seem uh, midway through the first half that this was not going to go Donegal's way at all. That that I, that result was or that record in the Bally Buffet was going to come to an end. And I don't know. Like maybe this is a really significant moment for Donegal, but like there, it does feel that there've been significant moments in the past with them because if you think about what the narrative would have been had they lost that game on Saturday it would have been pretty poisonous I think yeah. like I, I don't think they would have got any forgiveness from anyone uh, if, they, if they'd lost that game to Tyrone if that record had come to an end but they didn't they, like so while I guess to a certain extent they're not being rewarded by going above Tyrone I think the manner of them winning a game while arguably and I'm not saying I'm right in that arguably being second best team I think is uh, it could, could potentially be a significant result for them so Tyrone I've kept in at number four uh, Armaris thing put at number three because uh, they lost to Mayo and like we were talking about Mayo yesterday on the show like a, a really interesting prospect now for the All-Ireland because they've been so impressive so far in the league I know they won the league in 2019 but it does feel to me that Mayo are often you know uh, relegation candidates and pull it out of the fire at the end with the exception of uh, 2020 obviously so it feels like a bit of a change they look insanely fit they're seeing out games very well that Podrigal Hora turnover at the end of the game was just another indicator that this is a man possessed at the back and I think he could take on plenty of the best forwards in the country like you had RF posting that video on Twitter of like it's dozens of Mayo people lining up to watch the warm down afterwards just absolutely mad for football and like they, they seem to be almost future proofing as well rather than just zoning in on 2022 the likes of Sam Callanan and Frank Irwin thrown in from the start neither of them had 
had great days uh, at, at the office for various reasons but there are new names coming through while also uh, the old reliables that, 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 that are performing very very well and even Lee Keegan was saying in the aftermath of the match there were 10 lads training on their own in Castle Bar the morning of the match so there is depth in this Mayo team yeah. and um, I'd have themselves and Kerry as the two best teams in the country at the moment they play each other on Saturday week in Tralee which is going to be a hell of a match and I would wonder if that's actually going to be the first of two meetings in the space of, of a month because they play again in the final I think so I've heard, like I mean they're, they're, there's no, no semi-finals eh? no semi-finals okay. And I think Kerry, in at number one, really want that league final because between that league final, there's a full month before their Munster semi-final against Cork. Probably not going to be much of a contest. No. Don't want to say that too loudly, but let's, at this juncture, it doesn't look like no, it will be. It's going to be an annihilation. And same with the Munster final. Yeah. So Kerry want to limit the amount of weeks that they don't have a competitive match, I think. So right. uh, Kerry Mayo, one and two. Uh, from a Cavan fan, that's a very generous ranking for us. We've been very poor in Division 4, says Shane. We'll get the rest of your feedback out in a couple of minutes' time. But that is this week's Emergency Power Rankings. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. Right, we'll come back to that a little bit later on. If you want uh, to get in touch, you can get in touch with us. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Pack show still to come. We're going to hear from Ross Hamilton talking Six Nations next. OTB... Okay, time for us to turn our attention back to the Six Nations. I'm delighted to say rugby analyst Ross Hamilton joins us. Ross, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Yeah, good morning, guys. Very well. How are you? Yeah, good. The the role of the rugby analyst, could you just explain briefly to the uninitiated, um, uh, when you're working with a team, how how important and how much data are you given during the week to the coaching staff and how do they integrate that into then their patterns of play and training? Yeah, I would say during the week and sort of out of game time is the most important time for the analysts. There's a whole load of data available and it's really trying to focus everything down to be relevant for those coaches. Now, some coaches will do a little bit themselves and they'll have different um, levels of, of analysis that they want. But most coaches would want to have a look at opposition analysis more so to build their tactics for the game during the week. Um, not too many do a lot of them their own players on their own team actually they're sort of happy with that themselves but it definitely filters into their tactics which will then affect their training blocks which is affected their the, the whole session so it's obviously very important is growing um, the whole department of analysis is growing year on year that's really interesting so they're more interested in the opposition as a rule obviously than their own players I think they're just sort of comfortable with their own players. They have contact with them all the time and their own team, and they'll know the style that they're playing. So it's at that level, at sort of senior level, international level, and professional level, you're really then adjusting your game plan every week for the new opposition that you're facing. So, and, and obviously that is week to week in rugby. It's a very quick turnaround. So you've done all your prep for the week and that's gone. You've got one week, you know, a number of days really, to prepare everything for that opposition on the weekend. You're with your team for the whole year, so you're fairly comfortable with that. That sort of sits and carries on. It's, it's the opposition that takes the focus, yeah. You've obviously been doing this for quite a while. What, what's the difference in-game now versus, say, when you started out? Yeah, huge. The amount that you can now, I guess, code and, and correlate and put together for the coaches in-game is huge. There are more people, there are more analysts, there's more budget for the analysis department, which has um, been proven to be a very useful aspect of the rugby. So there are more people involved in it. So the, the information that the guys can get straight away during the game, you'll see it when there's on the camera and they flick up to the coaches, they'll be looking at their laptops and the analysts will be helping them and stuff. And that goes through to half time. 
I mean, the, the data that can be turned around as well from sort of the end of the half time to the changing rooms and the guys will sit there with their laptops and they'll show them clips and they'll show them stats to the players who have sat down. I mean, that, that kind of content, that kind of uh, information that allows you to then go into the second half and change your performance perhaps is huge. What's the most important piece of analysis or uh, statistic that is brought to the dressing room at halftime in a match? I would say it's the things that they need to address or change, really. So it's not one thing every time. Obviously, it's completely different for every game that you're playing in. Um, And I guess it's always going to be positive. They'll always try to address an issue that they can change uh, and not sort of slate you. That might come in the week. Um, But positive changes. So small changes, small fixes that the team might be um, not quite performing as well as they hoped so that they practice perhaps in the week. Small things like that. Um, I, 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 this is a kind of similar question, and and maybe it's unanswerable. But is there are there specific areas of the game which are more or less easy to bring analysis to? I guess in a in a, a way, is there a dichotomy between the amount of analysis you can give forwards and backs? And, uh, given that there are so many set pieces involved for the forwards, so you can actually just go in and go here, 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 and here, fix this, and away we go. Whereas with the backs, if it's broken play, it's more difficult sometimes to get that across in the half time window in particular. Yeah, maybe. The, again, the, the sort of level of coding that you can do, so the softwares that are out there that are available, that you, it's still manual, but you can create instances and clips and things like that. And the guys are so well versed in what they're trying to capture during the game to help them in half time, they will still be available. So if it's a launch play for the backs, if it is broken field attack, they'll still have all of that data and they, they are able to sort of code that and therefore get some information out of it. So backs or forwards or or any kind of situation on the pitch um, there will be data available and they will be able to look at that especially if that's specific to their team every team will have different aspects that they're trying to look at so the analysts will match that and they'll look at that during the game specifically Okay, uh, to to kind of maybe highlight exactly the conversation we've been having you've you've had a look at three separate um, bits of information coming from the Six Nations so far, Ireland's ruck speed a bit about England's power game and France's efficiency, where do you want to start? Start with France, shall we? The best team unbeaten. Yeah, okay. Well, yes. Yeah, so France, for me, have, have developed so much so quickly. Uh, for me, again, they're the best team in the world right now. France have always had that pace and power aspect, but the thing that they've adapted for me or, or developed is the efficiency at the end of that. So pace and power gives you chances and, and looks great on TV, but does that win you matches? Does that win you championships? In France's case, No. But what they've really done is, is added that layer to it, which has got them their results. And for me, again, you'd say odds on for a grand slam. So I've got a few sort of different metrics that I've pulled together to show that. Um, they start really quickly. Everything to do with them is about speed, uh, finishing tries, scoring, taking opportunities, even at the start of the game. All about speed and taking the chances that they get. So the best points difference in the first half in, in the Six Nations so far. So getting themselves out to a lead, other teams have to chase. It was the case for Ireland, possibly. They sort of felt they had to chase. It puts them off their game a little bit. France are then comfortable in that position, and they can then dictate how the game plays. The next thing then is uh, try sources. So we look at tries scored from broken field, as you mentioned there. Um, And France have scored eight tries from broken field, and that's the most in the competition so far. And that's 62% of all of their tries. Now, that is technically the second most. Italy have scored one try in the competition. It was from a kick receipt, but uh, which is cut past as broken field. But we can probably discount that. So 
even as a percentage of all of their tries, France are focusing on broken play more. So when there is a turnover, when there is a kick receipt and you've got that disjointed, disorganized defense, they are taking advantage of that straight away and scoring most of their tries from that point. The second thing to add on to that, so once you've got that possession from the broken field, we then have a metric to see how many tries are scored within each phase of play. And again, France has scored the most tries within three phases in the whole competition. It's 11. 11 of their 13 tries have come within three phases. I mean, that's 85%. Again, technically, Italy scored their try in the third phase, so it's 100%, but we're discounting it again. But to score 11 of your 13 tries in competition within three phases just shows how quickly and how efficient you want to be. They're trying to be taking advantage of the disorganized defense in the broken field and getting the job done straight away. doesn't take them six, seven, 10, 20 phases to do it. They take advantage of the disorganized defense and score straight away. And then the last element of that for France is their efficiency. So we look at efficiency in terms of the red zone, which would be the opposition 22. They get the most entries into the opposition 22 in any games, 13 on average per game. And then their efficiency is recorded by points per entry number. Um, and they, they score 2.33 points per entry. Now, again, that's, that's a pretty high return if you, if you average that across the games. So they really create a lot of their chances straight away, and then they convert them. Again, that was what I said at the start. But they've always been exciting team to watch, but they never had that final element of converting that scores, converting their tries, and then sort of getting the results at the back of it. Okay, let's, let's talk about England, because we're not quite sure where this England team are at the moment. There's certainly a debate raging on, on this show about, well, England are doing what you should do if you're trying to build a team for the World Cup. They're a bit behind France because um, France have had this home World Cup to aim for for a long period of time and they clearly took the decision a couple of years ago that that was all that mattered to them and we're starting to see the fruition of the kids they've invested in. England, obviously, were in a bit of turmoil after the last World Cup but had done really well. So that transition is beginning to happen now. What, what, what are you seeing in terms of their power game in particular? Their power game is the only thing for me that's really functioning um, it's, it's got them out of a couple of results. It, it probably was the reason why they beat Wales in that first half, really nothing else after that. Um, I had a look at their sort of attacking stats and I'm never really sure about this transition period with teams and things. I mean, England have so much depth and talent and, and player pool available. I'm never sure that there should be sort of a transition period that's so notable. I think it's got to be a development, sure, and you're going to peak at the World Cup, but... To sort of, I mean, we, I'm English. We we haven't played well at all. I don't think in any of the three games we've got away with a couple of results. But again, I had a look at some of the sort of the key stats. There's a few, but I'll try and just go through them quickly. Um, where England are not performing very well, their attack isn't firing. Even with a Marcus Smith, you can see that he's there and he's he's got the skill set. But is the rest of the team around him suited for it? Not so sure. So there's a load of metrics that we have for their attack. We look at clean breaks. They've only made, they average five per game, which is third in the competition. Defenders beaten 15 is fourth. Offloads, they don't have too many. That's also fourth. Even kicks in play is fourth. There's a whole load of these stats to sort of put them, you know, mid to bottom table across the six nations when they should be at least top three, you'd say with Ireland and France, the, the two others. Um, but then some more ones, some really sort of interesting ones. One thing we look at, which we'll touch on with Italy, uh, sorry, Ireland, is their ruck speed. Uh, Eddie Jones addressed this just before the autumn, and he said he wanted to try and get their ruck speed averaged to 2.7 seconds per ruck, which is incredibly quick, and it's something that Ireland are managing. But 
England's ruck speed at the moment is 3.8 seconds in the game. And, it's, and that puts them in fourth. And I mean, one second extra on a ruck is a huge difference in terms of trying to create space and opportunities. There's a similar thing with how many rucks they have under three seconds. They're in fourth. Their line-out success and scrum success is fifth in the league. And then their red zone efficiency that I mentioned for France is also fifth with just 1.79 points per entry. So not many attacking stats are really going towards or for England and they're not really performing. The only thing, as we mentioned, is their power game. There's two key metrics here that we look at, game line success and collision success, and they're first on both of those. Right. So 62% game line success, 30% collision success. Okay. And that, those, those numbers as well in terms of success are for a game line, it's getting over the game line, not just on it. And a collision success is a dominant collision, not just a neutral. So... 62 and 30 respectively are high, but that is really it. That's all they've got. That's all they're doing. And it's scraped them through a couple of games so far. Yeah, I suppose our, our fear as um, uh, not England supporters is that they're using going to use that as a platform and that the, the team around Marcus Smith, if they get the selection correct or if Tuolagi comes back, which obviously he will at some point, um, and if Owen Farrell comes back, then all of a sudden you've got uh, brain power extra power and some finesse in the in that back line that might unleash some of the talent they have but um, I don't know I, 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 my thing about the transition is that you just need to find the right combinations it's great having the depth but you don't know that these players are going to work very well together or, or it will be able to get on the same wavelength without actually having had 8-10 caps together mm-hmm. Yeah that's fair I think that's fair and I think with well, obviously with Manu any team in the world is going to miss Manu and He's is a different beast, and our backline would look completely different with Manu. You fear that then we rely on Manu, and that's the only thing we offer. And obviously, you want to balance it out. What I do think with that is, without Manu, and especially this weekend of having him for a couple of hours before he was then out, um, the rest of the team has to pick up that role that we just associate that he's going to do. So you know, even our props, Genji and Sinclair, ball carriers, they're, they're such powerful athletes. A back row, Tom Curry isn't necessarily considered an attacking rugby player, but it, but he is. Is 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 carries a bit like Josh van der Fleer. The, the the athletes that these guys are now, they still have power going forward, and they may take up the rest of the slack. Obviously, we need to balance that, and and we may not have had that so much in in our backline, and that would be where Manny comes in. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. Ireland's ruck speed. Then you, you've kind of um, you've trailed this one. We're doing pretty well. Yes, very well, very very well. Uh, really impressive. I mean, how um, ferocious Ireland seem to be at the breakdown, how much of an aspect it, it, it must be their focus. Um, and I'll go through this. So we have a, have a look at how many rucks a team has. Ireland average 111 rucks in a game for the three games so far. There's some other teams in the competition that are down at 40, 50, 60. So they're having a lot of possession and a lot of rucks. And yet they still have the best average ruck speed. And that's 2.89 seconds per ruck and for that to be across 111 rucks is honestly incredible it's not something we see very often it's a lot easier to get very quick rucks if you have very few of them and it might become your focus um to say kick the ball away only have a few rucks when you then strike you strike really quickly and you can manage that ruck speed but to do that across so many rucks is incredible and then what that gives them what it gives them off of the back of it is is everything it's the biggest metric i think in rugby at the moment it's something that's only sort of really coming across the board across the world that we have available for the last year or so a couple of years most um 
and it, and it's such a big metric to to measure where a team's attack is and how many chances they create. So we actually turned the ball over in, in the rook quite a bit against Italy. They they won five or six penalties against us because it looked like we weren't committing enough men to the rooks. Partly to do with the fact they only had thirteen men and we knew we were going to win. So all of that factors into it. Is there a is there a um, some way of kind of balancing this out where? If, if that was to happen in a big game against a good team, you would be able to say the rook speed was really good, but you need to dock Ireland points for this metric or you need to caveat that metric by saying that they also conceded four penalties in the rook. Yeah, they did against Italy. They still have the best uh, ruck success in the competition so far um, across all the sort of three games. Um, so there's, there's, there's obviously a balance in there. I would suggest that if that is a focus, which it feels like it is, that they're probably only committing one or two guys to that ruck, expecting them to do their job. And if they get that right, and if they clear the ball out, the ball's away quickly, and they've got players on feet to then attack in the next phase. If they don't, which is the risk, and they get turned over, then obviously they lose the ball. But that's possibly a worthwhile risk. Right. That's a risk-to-reward payoff that you're gonna, you might sacrifice a couple of rucks but for the rest of, say, say with five turnovers of the ruck, they, they might have lost a couple more. But you've then got over 100 rucks that are lightning quick ball and you can play and then attack the next phase. As a payoff, it's possibly worth it. That's really interesting because I think the, the crowd and the TV analysts are going to be like, oh, we're not committing enough to the rook. And it's like, well, actually, you know, our rook success rate is uh, 97%. And we've, we're taking those five penalties on the basis that we feel our defence from... Um, the set piece is going to be strong enough that's a uh, as you say a trade-off we're willing to make that's where the power of the analysis comes in absolutely absolutely and that links in and and it definitely feels like to again to be at that level i'm sort of um talking a lot about it to be at that level on that many rocks it has to be a focus it's not something that just happens it's not something that teams can just sort of turn up and do there's a focus from every single player the ball carrier the, the clear out the nine everything it has to be a focus so they, they, I'm sure they know all these stats as well. They will have gone through it and say, this is what this is a payoff. We're willing to take that risk because of what it gives us off the back of it. And again, I, I've just sort of mentioned some other stats I looked at for Ireland was your ruck speed creates chances. It disorganizes defense, gets them on the back foot, creates holes, which then might create line breaks, which then gets you into the right areas to score the tries. That's one thing. Converting those is another. So Scotland struggle with this. They have really quick ruck speed, second in the competition so far, but their red zone efficiency and converting is really poor. So yes, it's good in the, in one sense, but the, what does it really matter in the, in the in the second? And that's again where Ireland come into their own is they have this ruck speed and then they're converting it. I've always said this. Yes, you have to caveat that with it was Italy and Italy 13 men. So those stats would have affected it. But I mean, France and England have played Italy, not against 13, but... Um, Ireland still being at the top of this still has some waiting and their red zone efficiency is the best. So they get into the red zone um, second behind France, but then they score the most points when they're there and the most points per entry. Right. So right. they have both aspects of it, the speed of ball and the conversion as well. It's really interesting. One last question for you. you, you, you people can follow you on Twitter and, and with the uh, Twitter handle is at Roscoe Hamilton. Are you finding people are more conversant in, in the details and the minutiae of the game and just generally more interested in it as the quality of coverage progresses as much as it has done in the last decade? A hundred percent. It's been my battle for a long time, working in sort of broadcast and media alongside the sort of um, team stuff I used to do. And there's there's the there's sort of the old adage that um, it, they're casual viewers and it's going to go over their head and people aren't interested and they just want sort of the the entertainment, the feel of it. 
but that has changed. I mean, football, obviously, most places is a leading sport, and that's changed. There's there's detail and analysis, and people love that kind of thing. And it's easily available. It's quick. There's social media. There's podcasts. There's everything. It's all available to the guys. And I think we're about catching up with it. TV is catching up with it. Some of the coverage from the Six Nations, I feel, is really adapting that. There's some shows that sort of go around it, that support it, that really add this in. And for me, what it does is educate some viewers and maybe something of this is, is educating to somebody and they'll get that ruck speed thing in their mind and they'll watch a game and they'll think, well, gee, these rucks are really quick. That means that the chances are going to happen, and but we need to take those chances at the end of it and then they'll think about red zone efficiency so it sort of engages them in the game a little bit better 100 percent. yeah no you're dead right and uh, that was a brilliant explainer of those three pieces for us this morning ross thanks a million great to have you with us pleasure thanks very much enjoy the rest of the tournament that's uh, ross hamilton there and as i said you can follow him at roscoe hamilton on twitter and uh, you can check out the website elite talent id.com it is 8 30 this morning if you want to get in touch 0879180180 is the WhatsApp number. Of course, you can always just leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Um, I'm going to do quick newspapers for you. Uh, right, so the Irish Times have... Um, so we'll start here. Liverpool, go, yeah, we can go back up to that one. Sorry, yeah. Liverpool will not want to sell Cuevin Keller. That's Jason McAteer. I uh, know he's the perfect uh, sub-goalkeeper at the moment. Leads a point. Jesse Marsh as Marcello Bielsa's successor. Uh, Ukraine's Svitlana... Svitolina, sorry, called on tennis authorities to act on IOC Russia ban and FIFA and UEFA yesterday, obviously suspending Russian teams. Um, Conte singling out Matt Doherty for praise. He's a serious guy. I like him. That's good. I hope uh, Antonio Conte is serious about that too. Um, so back to the Irish Times from front cover here is a picture of Abramovich with the World Club Championship. That's the World Club Cup in, in Abu Dhabi. Uh, he's on the field of play. That's the bit that you. That's the main shot that you get in American sports when a, a team wins. The owner picks up the trophy, not the captain. There's no trophy left for the captain um, in American sport. It's always the owner. And uh, this is on Johnny Liu's piece from the Guardian today. How do we allow owners like Roman Abramovich to be simultaneously this powerful and this untouchable? FIFA and UEFA suspend Russian teams at international um, and club level. That is the, the story that's dominating. Uh, it's really impossible and we shouldn't be trying to turn our back on it it's uh, it's going to be there for a significant part of all of our futures Soviet bloc football chiefs perform U-turn and finally boot Russians out Roman's plans left in tatters this is the the plan that Abramovich had to hand over control of Chelsea to the Chelsea Trust the the charity but it turns out the people who are in charge of that are a little bit concerned about the fact that maybe they'll be being used as a front and that is the word that John Cross uses in his piece Elliot it's just good to be back this is Gordon Elliot with their, there must have been a um, yard visit he's obviously uh, got a lot of very high profile runners at Cheltenham in just two weeks time and Jesse we have all the right tools Jesse Marsh what did you make of Jesse Marsh the Leeds manager would he have been much happier if he could have got there before the advent of um a very high-profile TV show with an American manager. <laughs> would, he, would that have been better for Jesse Marsh if he could have predated? P- possibly, but it hasn't uh, the the Manchester United assistant taken the Ted Lasso moniker. Yeah, I mean footballers are like they, it would have been David Brent that they would have used as the uh, shorthand two decades ago for a middle manager who comes in and tells you what to do in your job when you're a supposed to be a highly motivated analyst this guy has a lot of the cheeriness and the go get him attitude and and the the language it's going to be difficult for him to escape 
Yeah, like I mean, uh, it's, it's completely unfair. It's so unfair. I feel you have to. Be, I felt so sorry for Bob Bradley when he got <laughs> ran out of the the country, uh, like with uh, with the sense, even the pre Ted Lasso sort of sense. I, like I, I suspect that Ted Lasso was was written on the the, the the premise of Bob Bradley and the the things that were said about him and and all that. So I felt sorry for him. I, I feel sorry for this guy already, even though um, he hasn't even managed a single game in the Premier League, and uh, it, it it is unfair. Like. I think that maybe he would be. Is there is there a case maybe that maybe he'd be closer to a Raniac type than a Ted Lasso type? I guess one is fictitious, one is real, so it's not necessarily a hot take. But yeah, but uh, like I mean, it's the uh, they're clearly stitching in elements of the, the, the Red Bull sort of thing. So yeah, I, I mean, it's just unfortunate. What are you going to do? It's impossible. Like uh, footballers' creativity levels are going to be like oh oh oh. They're like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen, going ah oh, ah. Oh. Like, will like will Leeds fans be uh, encouraged by the fact that this guy was an assistant to Raniac for a period of time? Or say that again? Will they be encouraged by the fact that he was an assistant to Raniac over the last little while? Will, will Leeds fans look at uh, Raniac's job so far and say what he's done? He was assistant to it's hard to know. manager. Um, the, it, it is the American owners coming in, putting an American in situ. Um, I don't know what percentage Villa own or what percentage Forty Nine ers own of them. Leads at this stage, but Abramovich holds Ukraine peace talks as plans for Chelsea begin to unravel. This was um, news that broke yesterday that Roman Abramovich is in Belarus helping with Ukraine peace talks. Um, it's it was made public, and all of the information that you're getting at the moment about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, you really have to uh, keep at arm's length until it's 100 percent verified by two independent sources who you can trust. Um, that we were told that he was asked by Ukraine to help. So they obviously felt like he had some sphere of influence with Putin and that maybe this was somebody who could be listened to. So is that like, is this a, is this a good thing? You're like, oh, so you are close enough to Putin that somebody thinks you might be able to help? Yes, we think you're a fit and proper person to own a Premier League team. Or is it actually like, this is really good that you know might be able to help in the long run, you know? And are we useful idiots for even thinking like that or positing that as a... As a potential outcome, because that's what it feels like. Yeah, like it, it does feel that, that I mean, uh, Roman Abramovich is certainly using his uh, his sphere of influence quite a bit over the last little while. Like we, we saw on Saturday night, um, Cave from Sky Sports put up a, a tweet that uh, had obviously come from within uh, Chelsea's his sources within saying that uh, Abramovich is not involved in politics and not involved with Vladimir Putin. And then yesterday we see a, a different reporter saying that he's going to broker peace in Ukraine. So which is it? I mean, life moves pretty fast where he goes from being uninvolved in politics to being the messiah and the man who can end all wars. So, I don't know. I think people need to be quite careful about what sort of propaganda they're trying to put forward as well when Abramovich clearly has a lot of skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Odebeku sees green future. West Ham striker pledges loyalty to Ireland. I never had any doubt. This is uh, really good news from an Ireland perspective. It's a young footballer making his way, currently on loan at Doncaster Rovers, on the books at West Ham. Seems to be fairly well got at West Ham, and so hopefully will be available to the Republic of Ireland uh, for many years into the future. Russia given ban from the World Cup is the other headline there, and the picture is of uh, the game between ECD and Shelburne at Belfield last night, the ECD Bowl, where a sprinkler caused the game to be delayed by eight minutes. Nil all draw. We'll talk about that with Vinnie Perth after ten past nine. Russia booted out of the World Cup after Italy mauling Ireland. Now need to banish Twickenham Demons. This is the Daily Mail. And then a uh, really remarkable scene, a picture of 
Alexander Usyk, the heavyweight champion of the world, the uh, the best fighter in the world at the moment who isn't named Tyson Fury um, in the heavyweight division, who obviously uh, battered, is it fair to say, battered his way to the uh, all the titles he holds at the moment. Um, due, due to fight a rematch against Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua has uh, had his... Um, he, he has uh, taken the rematch clause, and uh, Eddie Hearn was in the paper saying, oh, "I don't think I don't think the situation in Ukraine is going to have any impact on the fight, which is due like is it in sometime in the summer?" But uh, here's Alexander Usyk, like back in Kiev, and has joined up. So it might it might take precedence. I, th- I suspect that maybe you know maybe like the thing to do is to go. Well, we're not sure what's going to happen here, but obviously we wish him all the best. And some things are more important than this fight. But the quotes that were coming through was, I don't, I think he's going to he'll go into camp in a month. It'll be grand. Yeah, like different sort of camp, Eddie. I'm not sure that's what's going to happen, and maybe a bit of uncertainty surrounds that now. And maybe it's right that the uncertainty surrounds it. Uh, FIFA shamed into U-turn is probably an accurate reflection of exactly what happened yeah. uh, Russia finally expelled from World Cup IOC action leaves football with little choice Abramovich's Chelsea plan put on hold and that's the picture of Jenny Infantino uh, and Vladimir Putin getting his Order of Friendship award from Putin in 2019 so um, none of the pictures of um, Pat Hickey and Vladimir Putin have uh, resurfaced uh, just recently but no doubt they will in the next little while commission wants info on Abramovich's Chelsea plans as the charity commission there's the picture of Infantino and Putin at the match the 2018 World Cup uh, FIFA turns back on Russia all teams barred from World Cup and Euros and uh, booted out that is a picture of the Aviva on the back of the sun in blue and yellow FIFA take actions FAI show colours in fairness the FAI were out before FIFA and they said uh, no we're not going to play any matches at any level against Russia Usyk to answer the call to arms it's a remarkable picture um, and he is there the heavyweight champion of the world has taken up arms in Ukraine's brave fight against Russia and both uh, I saw Vladimir uh, Klitschko also on a piece on Sky saying that he was ready to fight I'm a fighter uh, his brother obviously is the mayor of uh, Kiev and has been um releasing videos constantly uh, he's there and ready to fight as well first day of March Jesse takes over and targets survival with Leeds and booted out as the back page headline on the mirror and they've got a Davy Fitz column in that as well it looks like now 8.40 this morning John Duggan is with us John Jared Owen how are you doing good morning to you how's the form so you're looking at what's going on and thinking I was just there I've, you've, you've been in Russia and you've travelled around and you met the Russian people and you saw the influence that the World Cup had had and I don't, I don't think the full story is written here I mean obviously it's fairly obvious what Putin was doing with with FIFA but it is also fairly obvious that there is a groundswell of support among the Russian public that is against this war and that um, is horrified by what's happening and you can see it in the faces of the people who are working with Putin as well that they're very uncertain about what uh, the actions that Putin is taking whether or not that leads to anything I don't know whether or not football had any influence on that I don't know Like, but I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about your time there um, well first of all I use Twitter all the time like yourselves lads and I find it very hard to scroll at the moment just to see the atrocities that are going on in Ukraine so that's the first thing I'm thinking about pretty much every day that how can this be happening in 2022 in a modern world you just come out of a 100 year pandemic and you know we have war again 20 years after Iraq and um, 
so obviously my, my thoughts every day are with the Ukrainian people and uh, it's just so grim to see the Klitschko's and Usyk taking up arms to defend their homeland and we don't know uh, how this is going to end for them because Russia, if you read the reports, haven't really gone in full scale yet and I think they would have hoped that Kiev would fall quickly and there would be not that many civilian casualties uh, but more so there wouldn't be that many uh, dead soldiers coming back um, and explanations having to be made, even though they have the mobile crematoriums with them. Um, so that's this has gone bad for Russia. This is a miscalculation. And if Putin is bringing the nuclear argument into it, we know it hasn't gone well so far. I haven't seen the international community react like this. Um, this is the biggest, I suppose, inflection point since the fall of the Berlin Wall. And uh, when you're talking about Sweden and Finland potentially going into NATO uh, and Ukraine looking to join the EU, we are now in a completely different world when it comes to Europe and, and European security. And, and 6,000 nuclear weapons, it's a scary time for somebody who I think uh, has gone rogue within himself, Vladimir Putin, as, as evil as he may have been beforehand. Um, my feeling about the Russians, uh, as I would have kind of communicated to you guys uh, when I was over there in 2018, um, it is a, quite a modern country uh, technologically, um, but it is a police state. It was one of the safest, joyous, most hospitable places when I was there because the whole message, I think, from Putin and his government and, and the Russian people was we're, we're, we're portraying ourselves and our image here to the world. So I don't really see that uh, this was a grand plan by Putin to get Sochi, to get the World Cup and to burnish and to sports wash and to launder the image of Russia so that he could do these things. I don't think they're necessarily connected. Um, I do think that Vladimir Putin's whole worldview has been shaped by one thing, which was the fall of the Berlin Wall when he was in Dresden as a KGB agent. And uh, they had control in East Germany and then control just went in a day. And they called Moscow and Moscow was silent. And I think his whole uh, fear has been as, a, as an autocrat over the last 22 years that um, democracy... Uh, uh, and uh, the, the lack of control would arrive on Russia's doorstep. And I think that's what he's seen in Ukraine, which has been very close to Russia for, for you know, not only tens of years, but like decades. Um, back to the old Soviet Union, like even in the World Cup in 1986, most of the Russian team was backgrounded by Dinamo Kiev players. But uh, Ukraine has taken a different road now, uh, as it's entitled to. Um, so I just feel like I think of all the people I met in Russia, the ordinary people, um, people in hotels who couldn't, um, you couldn't get your um, uh, thoughts away from the fact that if you go to any hotel in Russia, there was six or seven police in the lobby uh, that you'd be, you'd be beckoned to on the street. And I remember one policeman goes, come here. And, he, and I will walk over to him and he goes, do you need any help? Because they're all on message. But uh, when Russia beat Spain, the place went mad because Russia had not had a, an outpouring of joy like that, probably since the end of the Second World War in 1945. I know they hosted the Olympics in 1980, but it wasn't the same. And the armoured trucks were going round after about three or four hours telling everybody to calm down. So that sense of control has been uh, always there. Um, and I saw in the last week of the World Cup that once the colour began to fade... Um, you could see, sense the greyness reappear. You know, you'd be on the metro and you'd see the joy and the amusement and the kind of uh, uh, smiling bafflement of, of, of the locals at, at all these people, influx of people into their country in different colours from South America, from, from Europe, from all places of the world. And 
uh, I, I don't think Russia as a state could handle that and can handle that because the Soviet Union was a prison and effectively, I know it's more open, but it's still a prison of propaganda. And unfortunately, in an information world now, uh, social media, this is probably the first social media war, the information has all gone against what Putin's argument has been. Uh, but I just remember speaking to Barman that found it really, really hard to even to go to Barcelona for a weekend through visas and all that kind of thing. And I was thinking to myself at the time, imagine you opened up this great place and all these lovely people, because people are the same everywhere you go. And what you could have here and what you could have here has now been destroyed by uh, an autocrat that uh, seems to be deciding everything on its own. And it's the people who will suffer economically will be the Russian people. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens um, to Russia in the aftermath of this. Obviously, they've, they've become a pariah state immediately. Yeah. Um, and how long will the people bear the weight of the sanctions without something happening uh, in in Russia? And you know, people are talking about a coup and the possibility of a coup there. Like that is our best outcome at this point. You know, there's almost no other easy off ramp here where. Um, there isn't, and it's almost like a Ceausescu situation is what you what you need in Russia. But uh, everybody being rounded up, protesters. Uh, there is there was a huge amount of police presence, and I remember there was the police first of all, but then there was the the combat troops above that. There was thousands of them around grounds in, in Russia. These were all just kids, really really young people, and they'd be in a line, and you'd walk between them uh, to get from say a stadium to a metro. These are the people who are being sent. Uh, to die by Putin um, under the guise of, of propaganda that's been funneled through one TV channel for years. Um, but I don't think they're, they're the losing the information war. But it's just the people I would have met, like, in, for example, in Nizhny Novgorod, where actually a really talented po- politician called Boris uh, Nemtsov uh, made his career, and he was uh, close to Yeltsin, and he ended up getting assassinated outside the Kremlin in 2015. He was um, a critic of Putin's. But he was the, the mayor there and he was the, the man there in the 1990s. And this was quite a modern, forward-thinking place. And you'd, you'd meet people there. Once again, they'd be just fascinated by where you're from, uh, taxi drivers looking for souvenirs. I remember meeting hotel reception and, uh, receptionists in Kazan and they'd go, where are you from? And you'd say, Ireland, oh, that's so green, that's so, that, that, you know. Or somebody would mention you too or that. And these are just the ordinary people that... Um, I really would have felt that there was a chance for the world to see these people or for these people to travel and all that kind of thing. But their state can't get over the fact that uh, their their control could be in any way, um, you know, loosened. No. All right. What else else is going on? Uh, Well, Russia kicked out of football. Um, You know, we know that that's happened now with from the likes of Spartak Moscow can't play in the Europa League to the women's team can't play in the Euros to the fact that the... The men's team are now out of um, the Qatar situation. And, and it's only because uh, Poland and the Czechs and the Swedes, that they all just refuse to play. So FIFA have not led on this. They followed. UEFA did lead, to be fair, after a day. But once again, if you look at Jonathan Lewis' column, even in The Guardian, uh, football has not covered itself in glory over the last few years and the way it's taken, all the money it's taken. Um, that's what's going on there in terms of last night Jack Byrne as you heard on the show uh, great stuff for the Shamrock Rovers 3-1 win over Drogheda uh, Bohemians beating um, St. Pat's 1-0 and Yusudin uh, Shelburne drawing and uh, Dundalk beating Finn Harps by 3 goals nil. Darian Sligo drawing 0-0 as well there's FA Cup tonight Middlesbrough against Spurs at 5-8 to eight. Uh, we have Manchester City with uh, Zinchenko to play that's confirmed I think it's a good thing for uh, 
him to play, as, as Guardiola said, against Peterborough. We also have Crystal Palace against Stoke. And Jesse Marsh, the former assistant to Ralph Rangnick at uh, Leipzig, is the new Leeds manager. So his job is to get them uh, safe. Um, that will be difficult. In fairness to Leeds, they went with Bielsa and Marsh. It's not like uh, Kerbishley and Big Sam. <laughs> yeah. they, they're going Bruce. a different way. It's Steve Bruce, exactly. What a, what a disaster that's been for West Brom. Well, his whole style through was at New York or Montreal or Leipzig or Salzburg where he won the double in Austria has been press but they just need a bit of sense behind it because they were man market against Spurs look I think they've been really unlucky with uh, Phillips with uh, Cooper and Bamford out of the team but they just need to shut up shop a bit they've conceded 40 goals in the last 12 Premier League games and 14 in the last three they just need to shut up shop. I think it's between themselves, Brentford and Burnley. I think Newcastle are, are safe. I think Everton will be okay. I think Brentford are in trouble a little bit. And I think it's, you know, you just want to see. I was at Island Road there uh, the week before uh, the last weekend. They really have a vibrant, you know, great support base. They have a lot of Irish fans, a lot of Irish lads going over on the plane to Manchester on the way. And you'd hope that Leeds will be retaining their Premier League status because, as we know, with the Championship, it took them 16 years to get back up there. And at the moment, um, it's precarious for them. Yeah, for sure. John, good stuff. All right, lads. Thanks a million. Sean Duggan giving us his thoughts there. We'll be back with Virtual Insanity later in the week. And we will also be uh, hearing from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. It's 8.51 this morning. It is time for us to turn our attention to the fastest woman in Ireland. I'm delighted to say she's on the line. Molly Scott, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, the fastest woman in Ireland. Is that a, a title you're getting used to or is it something you don't want to get used to just yet because, you know, the season's not over and Rashida can come back and, and knock you off any day now? Yeah, I know. It's been coming and going, but I think that's kind of the fun of it. You know, you have someone there to push you and you, you just never know what's going to happen next. So it makes it that bit more exciting. I think it's, it's really good to have someone there to make the record faster each time. Will you talk us through the weekend in particular because um, there was a, a bit of a hoo-ha in advance of the actual race itself where uh, you ran this race twice in the space of 40 minutes. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I had to run twice. So what happened in the first race was I, I think they used the wrong gun. So they didn't. I think they didn't use the starting gun. So that meant if someone falls started, it wouldn't recall and the race like wouldn't like there wouldn't be a recall basically so that there was a false start and there was also the gun didn't work so or the timing didn't work I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the technicalities of what happened but yeah basically there was no time and there was a significant false start so it kind of messed up not just my race but kind of everyone else's races too so finishing was kind of like anti-climax I guess because I knew I could have broken the record and now I had no time so um Luckily enough, they said to us, no, look, we'll give you another race in 40 minutes' time, so we'll do it at the end of the program. So obviously I felt really frustrated because I knew I knew I could have done it because I'd ran 7.24 in the heat. So now I had another run in my legs, but I think the adrenaline, and I was really frustrated by it, and so I was going to I was gonna take it out in the next race. So luckily I did that. Did, did the initial race feel as fast as the second one? Um, well, I was just playing catch up because there had been a false start. So there had been a girl who got a significant, you know, I thought she broke. I think everyone else thought she broke. I jumped the gun too, but she was already gone. So there was no recall. So we just had to run. So no, for the whole race, I was essentially just panicking. I was playing catch up. I think it took me about 30 to 40 meters to catch up. And then I, it was just like, 
I didn't even hit the wall at the end, so I knew I hadn't ran that far. So yeah, it was it was really frustrating. And if it if the day had ended like that, I would have been so disappointed that I I didn't get to go out and show what I could do. So I'm really glad that like I got another race 40 minutes later. But you know, I just ran twice and I ran like my hardest I could have. So. I just sat on the ground. I didn't do anything. I didn't do any warm up. I just sat and I had to kind of just sit with my emotions, I guess, and then go out and do it again. That's really interesting. Do you think that there's like a, a lesson in that somewhere or is that just the way things go? Um, no, I think with me, I've, I've, it's probably bad to say, but I always like drive off when things go wrong or if there's chaos around, you know, my body just, it, it knows what to do. And I was like, I, I wasn't going to let it deny me. You know, I was like, no, today was the day I was going to, run a 7-1 I knew it I knew my heart and soul that that I could have done it so I, I wasn't gonna let something like that stop me and I think that actually fueled me and motivated me to run faster like it, at the end of the day it was a mistake but still it was uh, it, I would have left with no time no time and no ranking points either so so that would have been extremely frustrating so no I definitely think that could have been what made me run the record I don't know <laughs> you're gonna have like coaches and teammates trying to make you angry before every race yeah. from now on no warm up. Yeah. Well, happened, and I've I've ran good. I think I, I'm just a competitor, you know. Like I'm, I'm once I get into you know an arena or I'm competing, I I, I think I've become a different a different person. I I had a friend come to one of my races a while ago, and she was like, I didn't even recognize you. So yeah, you can be a very different person, I guess, on and off the track. We we have the race now, the actual the the race where you run the record. So talk us through. Um, the, what what allowed you to run the fastest you've ever run in a timed race in, in this one like what is it about apart from the determination and the adrenaline and the anger what else about this is kind of when you're watching back and going yeah I got that right um, well it's kind of about it's also yeah you need to be ang- there needs to be anger and aggression but there also needs to be like I guess grace and fluidity and um, being calm so the two kind of have to combine and come together and technically like from a technical point of view, like you have to really nail the start and you have to be in the right positions for your acceleration and you have to be as fast as you possibly can at the beginning. And it's all about intent. So that's what my coach always says to me. It's intent. It's intent from the beginning to the finish. And once you get up, it's about being in the right positions again. But I've trained like that track that I actually raced on yesterday is I guess it's my home track in a way because I've trained there all winter with just me and my mom and um, a timing system. So we have a timing system called Free Lap and we use, we've used it all winter. I've ran down that track so many times. I've had good and bad days and where I've been technically working on what I wanted to put together and what you guys saw yesterday was the final results. But I have like indicators in training, like 30 meter fly splits that will show me what time I'm essentially going to run. So Recently, I've been running 10 meters in under one second. So that just shows you you just have to go out and do it in a race then because it's all there. But yeah, technically, you have to put it together, but you have to have the intent and I guess the skill retention to do it. That, that repetition, is is that easy? Is, or is does it just grind down after a period of time doing, I guess, the same track, the same surrounds time and time again? Yeah, sometimes it definitely can. Um Sometimes it can be a bit monotonous, but I, I like to change it up. Sometimes you go to different places or we'll train in Athlone or I'll bring a training partner along just to make it different or I'll hurdle as well because I was a hurdler and I do plan on going back to that soon. So um, that definitely changes up training and makes it more interesting. And that's why I always used to love hurdle training so much because it was very 
different from sprint training so we like to throw in different things too and even on I think it was Saturday I didn't do anything before the race my mom was like I don't want you to do just another warm-up like I don't want things to get stale I just want you to relax and then nail tomorrow <laughs> you mentioned your coach and your mum there that's one and the same and your, she's got an incredible story herself in that she wasn't a trained athletics coach but over the last decade or so has become conversant in the best techniques in the world to get you to the level you're at now what what's that been like for her um, yeah, I think it's it's been much of a I think a roller coaster and a challenge for her, and it, I think it's been about confidence for both of us. Like maybe when we were I was a teenager and she was a couple of years younger too, we didn't have as much belief in ourselves, and we were both starting off. It's not like she had three or four athletes before me, so we've had to make like mistakes and together along the way and and learn a lot together. So, but she, yeah, when she was when I was about twelve or thirteen, she started to learn. And, you know, we did face a lot of challenges because she was my mom as well in Ireland. And, you know, there was kind of a stigma around, oh, you're pushing your kid. You shouldn't be push- pushing your kid. But at the end of the day, I wanted to be pushed. And I'm so grateful that I was given that opportunity and that my um, parents put a lot of time and effort into into giving me this because I certainly wouldn't be sitting here now talking to you. So, yeah, it was definitely difficult for my mom. But I think she's coming into her own now, too. And she's learned so much. And you know, we definitely are a lot more confident in our abilities and what we could do. Because even yesterday she said to me, did you ever think you'd run 7-1? And I said, honestly, no. But she said she knew I would. So, yeah, there, that gets us the difference. Did she tell you that before the race? <laughs> no, she told me after yesterday. She was like, I always knew you would do them times one day. So, um, yeah, she, she knew I could do it. <laughs> Did she have her own, a, a, a different sports background? Was there was I mean, she obviously had a big, deep interest in sport to make sure that you were able to make the full, I don't know, take full advantage of the whatever gifts you have. So, what was her own sports background? Um, she doesn't really have one to be honest. Like when she was a kid, she did athletics and she went along to athletics competition until she was around fourteen or fifteen. Um, I think she was a Dublin Community Games relay medal, which is really cool. It's in the attic, but. Um, no, she didn't really have the same opportunities as I did. Um, so she she left sport behind, I guess, and went off and lived her own life. And even when when she had kids and stuff, she said she never really planned on like putting them into sport and anything. So I kind of just fell into it. And then my mom really enjoyed it. Like they, my mom and dad would have always followed like the Olympics and track and field, but they they never really had any like depth or knowledge about it. So they kind my mom kind of just fell into it then. So yeah, to come from two people who didn't really have, I guess the Sport, sporting backgrounds to what I'm doing now is uh, pretty significant. But like I said, we've, we've, I think we've learned so much over the past 10 years that now I have the right training program and I, we kind of know what to do more to run faster and become better because this year we we knew over the winter that we wanted a breakthrough year. I wasn't, I wasn't going to, I didn't want another mediocre year. So yeah, we both pushed each other really hard. Does your mom have someone to mentor her as a coach throughout those few years or how does she pick up even techniques and drills? Um, well, she's she's like bought all the books. She's went to all the coaching conferences. She she definitely has people in um, other countries too that she can pick up the phone and talk to like over the years. Um, I think she um, she started off years ago buying a USA track and field book from a coach in America and um, that was the first book she ever bought and I still remember her like showing me the videos when I was 10 or 11 
and she kept up with following that program from a coach in um I think it's in Boston somewhere and she followed that program for over the years and she said when she first like picked up the book she she didn't really understand it but now it all makes sense years later so yeah she kind of followed a certain um program for me and even now she'll go back to that um coach and she'll give him updates on what I'm doing wow that's cool <laughs> Yeah. And were you fast as a kid? Were like, I mean, obviously you were, but like, was it a clear thing that this is the right path for you? Because I'm just wondering, could there have been other sports? Could you have been a footballer? Could you have done other sports? But actually, it turned out athletics was the thing that you wanted to do because you were good at it early? Yeah, I think I just fell into it very, very early. Like I was about seven or eight and then I was probably just like winning, you know, your local competitions by the time I was nine or ten. But it, I, it was just something that I felt like I was good at. But it was funny when I, when I was a kid I was about five or six I was playing musical chairs at a at a sports day and I won and I just remembered that feeling like and that was such a long time ago and I was like there's nothing can compare to this feeling I want to do this forever I want to win things so then I kind of fell into athletics and yeah I, I, I can't really imagine myself in another sport I, I really love track and field but I like the individual aspect of it too I've never really tried out team sports that much but um, I definitely do admire them um, to to go back to the the time right there's a, a story um, that has been doing the rounds about you taping 719 to the back of your phone is that right yeah I did that yeah I did that a few weeks ago probably in the beginning in, in January after all my winter training was done I just cut out 719 on a piece of paper and I painted it in gold calligraphy ink and I put it on the back of my phone because I just I wanted a goal to look at every day and I'm kind of terribly addicted to my phone so I had it there to look at and it was homemade and um, yeah they say you're supposed to like put it out into the universe and um, not be ashamed of what goal you have no matter how big it is because people kept asking me about it and I was like it's the time I want to run and I know they were looking at me like this girl's a bit mad (laughs) but I mean yeah like the mad people are the ones who create stuff and and reach goals isn't that right yeah, like I guess it's kind of a manifestation in a way, but you, you have to do all the work, to, you know, to get there. Like you have to do all the work, but it was just an incentive there for me. I always find if over the years, if we write a number down somewhere, somewhere in even on a track or in my home gym, it always comes true. What's the next thing that's going to be written on the back of the phone? That's what I was actually thinking. I was like, what number am I going to pick next? Maybe 716 maybe or something like that like I have the world indoor championships in just over two and a half weeks so going out there and running PB will definitely be my goal it will be hard to do but um I think I think it's in me now like I knew I knew the time was there for the weekend so I'll know over the I'll know through my timing system of the next few weeks what I'm gonna do what else is in that kind of suite of techniques Molly in terms of either writing stuff on the back of the phone or, or other psychological things that that you use um, I feel like for like for me anyways, I have to really get up for a race. Like I can't just be flat like in my mind. Like I have to physically and mentally like be kind of harmonious, I guess. I I would be a little bit um I find sprinting and sport kind of it's kind of spiritual for me, I guess, in a way, but I definitely have to get up for it. Like I have to I would take, you know, I would drink Red Bull, I'd take some caffeine, like I have to be you know really in his own to get out there and do that I would probably talk to myself a lot in my head and I would visualize things and I would you know think of scenarios where I am from the past that would maybe motivate me to do it things I've done as a kid and how far that I've come yeah so when I'm in the call room 
I'll have about 20, 20 to 25 minutes. And that's definitely where a time where everyone can take time to themselves. And it can kind of make you or break you, especially at big championships, because, like, you know, there's big names there too. And you don't want to get intimidated. You want to, you want to be just focused on yourself. <laughs> and is that something that your mom would have encouraged or is that something that you picked up yourself? Um, no, I think I just picked it up myself along the way. I think I've always been like that since I, I was a kid. Um, you know, my mom, when I was really young, I was only about 10 or 11, like she would she would bring me to competitions in the UK and she'd always say, you know, if you, if you can't get up there with the Brits, like you're, you're at nothing basically because they, like, they're, they're an amazing like sprinting country, an amazing hurdling, hurdling country overall. So she would like put me into them races from a really young age and maybe – Along along the way, I look back at all them call rooms because they were very like professional. The races that I I learned a lot of them things about how to like get myself in in the zone for a race because you know this they say you know the bell shaped curve you know you can be overstimulated or over nervous. It's you have to kind of like find the find the middle line, and that can sometimes be um it can be really hard to do. But I for me I find that like it's like almost like a red button inside me. And if I don't hit it, then I'm not going to like do my best performance ever. I, I I know when I'm either underwhelmed or overwhelmed. If like, for instance, I, I competed in Ostrava um, a few weeks ago at the Czech Indoor Gala and we were waiting before we ran on the start line for quite a while. But I, I got a small cramp in the side of my um, quad and I got such a fright. I was like, what am I going to do here? What How mentally like, how am I going to fix myself here? Because I was like, should I run? Should I leave? And um, I just had so much adrenaline like flowing through my body. I was mentally, I, I had to really get myself together for the last minute before they um, called the gun. But I won. But I'm, I'm not saying that's because I won. But like adrenaline and nerves, definitely I found that work in my favor instead of being, oh, I have to be calm and I'm going to be fine. No, I have to be, I have to be really nervous and ready to go. I have one last thing. Your work-life balance is obviously something you've managed to maintain properly. You've um, uh, graduated from law. You're studying the King's Inns at the same time as doing this. How do you manage that? I definitely say I'm working on it. Like <laughs> I do not have a clear, quick, good answer for that. Yeah, I'm in my first year of King's Inns, so it's definitely, definitely trial and error. I'm trying to keep up with that at the moment, and I have um, assessments next week, which will, I think, um, show a lot for me. So, but my marks count the following year. So I definitely have a lot of work to do at the moment. Sometimes you'll go through periods where you work harder on one and one will suffer a little bit more than the other. But then at the end of the year, you know, you'll probably like focus more on academics, especially when it comes up to exams and stuff like that. Is this something that you'll do until the end of the course and then try and do the full time athletics thing for a couple of years? Or is it your intention to try and keep these dual paths because one is a good release or escape from the other? Um, I'm not really sure yet. So I have another year left after this year uh, training to at uh, doing the barrister law degree. So I'm not really sure yet. But I think the nature of being a barrister is kind of similar as athletics in that you have to give it 100%. And I'm very aware of that. It's a hard career to make it up. So um, I'm aware of all them things. But I really do love law. So no, I definitely would love to practice at one point. But I don't know if it will come immediately after I am um, finished I'm I really don't have a good answer for that yet but um I love law so much so no I definitely will not be taking a step back from it it's always going to be in my life and um, athletics until about two in the past year or two I didn't really think that I would um wasn't really sure if I was going to have a career at it or not I kind of had accepted that I was just doing it to see 
how much I could get out of my body and how fast I could run but now things are changing I guess over the past season I've kind of broken through a bit and I could actually have a bit of a career edit for a while so I'm definitely just going to focus on Paris that Olympics going to that I'd love to get another international medal they they would definitely be my goals yeah. All right. Well, uh, you're, you've managed to achieve everything so far, so no one is doubting you at all, Molly. Congratulations uh, on running uh, the record, and thanks a million for joining us this morning. Thank you. It's Molly Scott there, the fastest woman in Ireland as it stands, and obviously uh, those rivalries are the, the best part of athletics. We can all get behind them, and um, they're going to drive each other onto greatness. Yeah, incredible. Um, herself uh, and Rashida Adeleke, obviously at the moment, to two generational talents, possibly uh, as time will probably judge them over the next little while, and. Uh, probably success off the track as well I wonder will she have um, become a barrister on the back of her uh, phone as she's doing her exams and that'll, that'll drive her to success the psychological stuff there was absolutely fascinating mm. I, I haven't really heard that stuff before and I guess um, maybe when you're operating over short, such short distances it is that 25 minutes beforehand where it's make or break whereas in a longer distance it's like okay you, you set, settle in, in and then it's like yeah. okay now the mental battle starts yeah for sure 10 minutes past 9 this morning if you've got a view we'd love to hear from you OTBAM is brought to you live by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish uh, we, here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today uh, OTB Gold is Ronnie Delaney speaking of our golden athletes at 1 o'clock Dagcast is at 3 Career retrospective at four is Ronnie Whelan. Uh, Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali at six. And the show with Joe is live tonight from seven. Up next this morning on OTB AM, Vinnie Perth joins us in studio to talk football. OTB AM. Right, 11 minutes past nine this morning here on OTB AM. We'll talk to Vinnie Perth in a couple of minutes about the latest round of fixtures in the SSE Electricity League. Um, the out half... Uh, debate has been settled apparently there's no point in having a conversation about it anymore uh, Sexton ran the game against 13 men Italy for the last 20 minutes when they were exhausted and is uh, therefore way better than Carberry who can't ever play for Ireland again according to our textures our style of play clearly doesn't suit Carberry says Craig who stands back far too often Sexton attacks the line and always takes the hit before passing whereas Carberry likely from getting injured so often passes too soon Ireland were simply terrible for those 60 minutes Sexton came in and steered the ship you disagree, in your sense, from your tone. I just think that, like, there's a mad overreaction to the last 20 minutes where Sexton clearly comes on and uh, influences the game to the point where we score a lot more points. But the game was over. Like, either either we we are committed to building a replacement for Sexton who will be a viable alternative in a World Cup quarterfinal or we're not. And we're just going to ride the Sexton train and we're going to put all the eggs in the Sexton basket and see where that takes us. That all, has always worked for us before in the World Cup, hasn't it? Hasn't it really worked out for us? I'm, uh, I'm looking like you look at the championship table, and if they were to lose against England in Twickenham, I think that Carberry will be back for Scotland, possibly. I know every place matters, but they're still chasing a championship trophy at this point, and it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that it might happen. I don't think it will, but. I think it, it might happen. Like there's obviously still a chance that it might happen. So I think that that's why uh, Sexton's going to start next week. And even if Carberry had been even better uh, last week, then they're going to pick him for the England game. They're going to pick Sexton for the England game. I think so. I don't think that was maybe predetermined. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, Gareth A. Davis was on the show last night talking about the various boxers who have um, joined up to join the front line in Ukraine, including pound for pound king Vasily Lomachenko. He's, he's a fantastic character, um, a very stoical man. And I think we're seeing that, um, you know, with the fact that the latest photographs of him show him in military uniform carrying a gun. 
in Ukraine, slung over his shoulder, where he's gone to be as stoical as he really is and, and put his life on the line. He puts his life on the line in the ring, as we might say. You know, every time he boxes, boxing, you know, combat sports are inherently dangerous sports. But they're not as dangerous as putting yourself on the front line against an enemy that's advancing on your home, as you say, on your family, on your town, on your city. And, you know, Vasyl Lomachenko is prepared to die, clearly. He's prepared to die for the cause, you know, as as are Oleksandr Usyk, who, you know, just won three world titles at heavyweight here in September in London here um, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, preparing for a rematch with Anthony Joshua. He was over here uh, at a Champions League game, actually, uh, late last or middle of last week. And, uh, you know, Chelsea against Lille and uh, made his way back home in exactly the same way as you talk about Basel there to uh-huh. go home and to join up with the forces. It, 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 you cannot make this up. No. Uh, but this is real life right now, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and you have to have great admiration for them. Because the other thing about them, and I know you're going to mention the Klitschko brothers as well, yeah. these guys are targets because they are the biggest sports people in our country. Imagine the biggest sport in their country. Imagine, it's a very emotional thing about it. Imagine our biggest sports people saying, no, forget the sport. I'm drawing a line under that. There's a bigger picture right now. And that's what they're doing. They've got involved in the bigger picture, which really is life or death. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was the point we were making a little bit earlier on, that maybe Eddie Hearn hasn't quite caught up yet when he thinks that Usyk and Anthony Joshua's rematch might just go ahead as scheduled. I think that maybe that might not happen. Anyway, OTBM is brought to you live by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish. Uh... Right, Vinny Perth is with us. Vinny, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, good. We were uh, salivating about the performance of Jack Byrne last night. I, we only saw the highlights, right? But the goal and the pass, um, I don't know which is better. They're both absolutely amazing. Yeah, I thought he was excellent last night. I was at the game, obviously, and um, there was. Um, it's interesting because it's amazing. The goal will, will take away from a couple of things, but I think he... Obviously, he missed so much football. He's, it's it's taken him a little bit of time to find his feet back in the league. And there was moments last night of his of his brilliance, and there was moments where he was a little bit rusty. So, right. which is which is good. But um, but take nothing away from the goal and some of his passes, obviously, um, and the way Rovers play really suit him. And he, he was he was very good. He's not back to his best yet. So. Uh, that's the, the scary part for the rest Well for anybody who hasn't seen the goal we can roll the goal uh, we'll start with the goal and then we'll get on to the pass so um, the, the commentary in this was really interesting because they were saying that he'd been calling for the ball and calling for the ball and hadn't got it a couple of times actually we're starting with the pass here so uh, the pass is kind of um, a slide rule and then it's an excellent finish that's after 20 minutes right um, he, he's that number 10 we've had a lot of conversations about number 10 on the show yeah, I'm not sure he plays number 10 for Shamrock Rovers. I think he plays a bit everywhere in the sense of he's very, it'd be wrong to use the word indiscipline, but he turns up in different positions. Um, but a bit more in the 10 in these two instances last night. But the goal, the, the pass for Sean Gannon was brilliant. Gannon's running power as well helped. The defender just switched off, but he put it in a brilliant area. And then the goal just lightened up the game. Um, it was pretty, it was a quiet night. So it's funny, the commentators were the other side of the pitch. And they could hear, you could hear a lot in the game last night. There was, 
it was quite a, a quiet night, even though there was just over 4,000 in the ground. So you could hear them constantly looking for the ball, driving the team on. Um, and a lot of the play goes through them. That gives you uh, strengths and weaknesses, obviously, uh, in terms of the game. So The sprinkler video has just uh, inadvertently come on. The third well, piece yeah. of highlights from last night. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I suppose that sums up the league, doesn't it? There's flashes of brilliance and there's other moments where I wish we could do things a little bit better. And I think... Um, someone like Jack Bourne takes it to another level and we, we've got to get all the other parts around the league right yeah yeah. look I, I think the sprinkler thing everything was taken in the spirit of it happening these things happening you know there's like um, dogs on pitches in, in every sport in the world There was uh, it happens in the NFL so I but let to, let to go back to Jack Byrne right like how long would it take him do you think to get up to this, the level that he's he's capable of in terms of being able to dominate the way he has done in this league in the past no like don't get me wrong at times last night he dominated the game so um, but he, he, he obviously fitness went, he has to build up yeah, yeah it's fitness it's match it's um, we use the word in football a lot now you hear rhythm you, you, you need to find your rhythm um, understanding the movement of players and he just hasn't played in such a long time he obviously went away um, it didn't work out he picked up the injury and then came back to Rovers and it's pre-season and it's, it's never the same but I think they've been benefited of playing UCD at home and Drott at home with all due respect to were two easier games where you'd expect them to win they did you did a bit of time on the ball last night and, and he, he made the most of it so uh, their challenge Rovers challenge will come over the next couple of weeks they have a couple of tougher games but the advantage of having now four games under his belt between the President's Cup and the league games mean uh, he's getting very close to his best again and um, he's got the passing range and he can light, light up the league and we need people like, like Jack Warren. But you know that people are going to go and watch the next game just to go and see him now because of those highlights doing the rounds and that's again the benefit of the streaming that's come in that every game is going to be the, the footage is going to be there of every, of every major incident so it, like again it kind of you hope that it just builds a sense of anticipation around the league the other thing that was really important was that they lost against Derry yeah. like if they'd beaten Derry and they were nine points three games you'd be like it's great that there's a good team in the league who's playing football like that but it's brilliant that Derry beat them yeah, I think I'm caught in two minds. I've seen them against uh, Pats where they weren't that good. Pats should have beat them in the President's Cup. They were just OK last night. I think the management will feel the huge improvement. They were only OK. Um, but at the same time, um, they won the game. They won it comfortably. So there will be a little bit of um, uh, let's wait and see. I still think Rovers will dominate the league this year. Um, I think the Derry result is good. It gives momentum to Derry in terms of the Brandywell being sold out and it gives the league uh, an, an interest but I still think Rovers will dominate it their bench, their squad is phenomenal um, Burke hasn't started a game and for me he's, he's up there he's not far behind Jack Bourne as the best player in the league Can they play together? Uh, yeah of course they can, they have done and, and I think they will do um, Graham's, whatever's going on there we don't know whether he's got a bit of an injury or whatever, he hasn't started a game so, uh, but they've got real talent, and I think that will come true in the bigger games. And they've, as I said, they'll find a rhythm, and I think they're, they're still way ahead of everybody. Albeit, I think they've started the season slow from what I've seen of them. How much is Jack Byrne benefiting from uh, an interesting career so far, from the Manchester City Academy to, to the Netherlands to Cyprus and and back home at the age of twenty-five only at this point? Has that given him a maturity beyond most twenty-five-year-olds? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think I think when you speak to him, I spoke to him a couple of times, and um, you get the impression he's someone who's what's the word I'd use? Experienced in in the sense of 
he hasn't had it all easy, but he's he's also been around a lot of top top people, top players. He would have been around uh, Foden and Sancho, Sancho, two huge world names. But he would have been around them growing up. Another guy, Will Patching in the league. Those those sort of four were the ones that City really earmarked as as the next players. So I think the experience as well of going to I think it was Oldham and it was really poor and it didn't go well. From was a bad club. Makes you realise actually the grass isn't greener on the, mm. on the other side. Sometimes that League One, League Two football in England can be difficult. Mm. Now we know there's some huge clubs there, Sunderland's and Wigan, but uh, he's probably better suited to a more technical game. And uh, sometimes you wax lyrical about League of Ireland, the people on the outside go, "What are they talking about?" When you see the likes of the sprinkler, doesn't do us justice but we have got a very technical game and it suits people like Jack we've seen that with European results over the last couple of years so it suits them um, the, the other results have been kind of uh, inconsistent so Bowles beat Pats Pats beat Shells uh, Shells won their second game it, that's going to happen over the, the early part of the league and I kind of feel a little bit like we need that, that that doubt and that or would you prefer to see a block of teams who are season on season always progressing getting better and, and more dominant yeah I think I was in a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing the start of the league and I said I didn't know where everybody was because there was so much change the Bowles team lost basically the core of their team right down the spine of it and they've started the season quite well a win and a draw um, so I think we're seeing that in the results as in it, it is topsy-turvy for one better word. It's only a couple of games. But you see someone like Finn Harps, they've, they've got to go to Dublin on a Friday and then back down to Dundalk on a Monday. You always knew they are going to struggle last night. So you're seeing the, the full-time team should get the advantage of the Friday-Monday. hasn't necessarily worked out, but it, it's one of them... Like the. Albeit I think Rovers will dominate the league. The team that has most impressed me was Sligo on Friday night against Pats. They right. were outstanding on Friday. I didn't see the game obviously last night, but he went up to Derry and got a point. They've had two games, four points. So it's it's funny, it's early, it's only two or three games, but momentum for a team that's um average is the wrong word, but you know, they're just under the momentum is huge and to to be in seven, eight, nine, ten points after four or five games can carry you all the way through a season believe it or not sometimes you just go on a run and, and just doesn't stop well uh, teams get confidence they, they feel like they're a part of a movement everything makes sense and pressure like you take balls for example it's a small point but or uh, Shelbourne they're on four points draw it on zero it's already a cushion and it's only two games yeah. and I know that's and, and that's the mindset of footballers in dressing rooms it's, it's a cushion yeah, the, the Shelburne story is obviously very interesting. It's garnered a lot of attention. Uh, Duffer is, a, you know, he's a figure in world football because of the yeah. a, a career that he had, and it's great that we're starting to see some of that generation of players come back. And it would be great to see some of the more, more of them come back and get involved too. Once they leave jobs for other people, of course. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of jobs to go. All right, right? Jay. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. Like, isn't it though? The interest in the league. Really? I mean, again, going back to Richmond Park on Friday night. I went in and um, I normally do the Brian Kerr thing where you, you know you pay in and go over to Camock and I actually couldn't watch the game from the Camock, it was too packed, right. which was amazing. I had to go back around the main stand and sit down the back. So there's a huge interest in the league. I think people like Duffer add to it, but I also think there's a huge momentum coming and I think it's important we build on it and don't overplay it, but at the same time build on it as best we can. Where's the momentum coming from? What's the... I think 
the likes of Jack Bourne's goal. I think uh, the European success teams have. I think people, the neutral... See, so, sometimes those League of Ireland people think we're great and we're doing everything and, and we, we get annoyed about playing loads of people travelling to the UK. I think that's wrong. I think we, we're, we're at a bit of a crossroads where stadiums are becoming full, but they're only full of three and 4,000 people and we're missing something along the way. Um, the exposure in the league has been brilliant. Like, to be fair... Uh, yourselves, uh, people are doing shows after games. Um, I'm not sure, or the Friday night Nathan stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't listened to it yet. I'd be worried to listen to it. But um, <laughs> but like, the, if you look at the national coverage we get, it is huge in the league in terms of the papers and etc. We just need to improve our grounds. We need to make it more accessible to kids. And I think we need to try a couple of different things, maybe try a Thursday night game live on TV, because if you look at, say, Dublin, um, there's so many Dublin clubs, there's a lot of neutrals floating around there that will go to a, a big game, yeah. was, for example, a Thursday night, and people need to be open to these ideas. and, and just Are they open? That. Is that your sense? Because I, I um, was listening to Dan and Johnny talking to a couple of the academy directors, and the, the lads were getting on, I, I, I completely blanked on the names now but it was the Cork and uh, Rovers Academy directors who were in chatting to the lads and uh, they had been through they'd seen everything they'd seen the boom and the bust of the league as as players and individuals and now it seems like they are definitely in the vanguard of people who are trying to push things forward but there, there definitely seems to be some kind of blockage or lack of joined up thinking um, I, and I don't know what that is um, I, th- I, I, I think when you look at football it's, it's no different than um, God, I have no interest in one sense in GEA, but all I heard you was talking about was Plan B, Plan A, plan, and it got into my head. And it's the same. It's the politics of sport is diff- no different between GEA, rugby, and and soccer. We just we we have got a new sort of pathway being created. It's not perfect, but the FAI have come out with their st- st- strategic plan. Um, it is a it is very vague. But at the same time, it's something to work on. And I think we need to sort of... Uh, I suppose we need to work together and make the league better. There is blockages. There is the school by section. There is the League of Ireland section. But I think um, when you see, particularly someone who's who's been involved in, say, European campaigns, you can't walk through a street in Dublin without people talking to you about it. It's a real interest. It's like people's guilty pleasure, League of Ireland, sporting people. They they sort of follow a team, yeah. but they don't really, but they talk about it at work and don't really. And it's how we, we capture that and 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 sort of cut out the, the bullshit a little bit and start getting on with people. And sometimes some hard decisions have to be made. And I think some of them have been made to, to a point. Um, to go back to the stuff on the f- field of play, the quality seems to be improving. What's that down to? Um, uh, again, again, uh, the one thing I'm certainly not as an FEI spokesman, or I'm not going to say the FEI have made huge errors, but the coach education, our coaches in Ireland at the moment are as good as, as most around the world. Um, you, you mentioned Damien Duff. I, I went on to it. We'd done a pro license together. There was 20 odd coaches. We went to uh, FEI or UEFA headquarters um, as part of the seminar with our pro license. And anything we put on or any uh, anything we produced as a group was as good, if not better, than most there. And you look at the talent of coaches: Rory Higgins, Stephen O'Donnell. Um, uh, Tim Clancy, Stephen Bradley, all young enough guys. Um, it's not. 
you know, not 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 knock on what went before it, but it's all new. They've come through the coach education, uh, pro license coaches are there on their pro license, and um, there's a forward thinking. And I think the world has got smaller. You were talking about analytics earlier on. Um, it's all of this has come together and it's merged, and we've become a really technical game. And and I think you've only to look at the European results and go. Um, take the, that Dundalk team and, and most people will go on and on about what happened the last couple of years but we probably it, it's it's funny as a coach you remember the, the ones that got away not the success and we should have knocked out Vitesse Arnhem who were still in the European competition the, the uh, Rapid VN they knocked out in the last round and we should have we, sh- we should have knocked them out so we're there we just need a shot in the arm we need a hand whether that's true, you look at what the council have done in Tala, whether it's the, the government, whatever, we need something just to help us that little last little step. And, and it's the shot in the arm for the teams that are already succeeding. Like, I mean, the other Dundalk comparison that was obviously doing the round at the start of this season was with Sheriff Tiraspol and yeah. they were beating Real Madrid. Like, so what needs to happen with, with, with those teams or is there a common thread that you've seen with those teams who do get good European results and in Dundalk's case go on these great European odysseys and then maybe fall back to the pack a little bit? What, what, what's happening there in, in those situations, do you think? Yeah, it, it's hard to build momentum um, mm. in that sense and, and go on and on. You, you can, in some ways, outgrow your league and that, that will be the problem. Uh, but there can only be one team that win the league every year. It's the same in all leagues all over the world. And um, People had a big fear that Dundalk were going to dominate for years and years and maybe we should have and maybe I'm, re- I'm partly responsible we didn't. Uh, but it doesn't happen. History and sport tells you it doesn't happen. There's always someone... Um, we, for example, that Dundalk team under Stephen Kenny was always known as this, the fitness team, and they were, and we the strength and conditioning coach. And that, now everybody has a strength and conditioning coach, so everyone catches up. So it's about the challenge for for Rovers now stay ahead of the pack. But um, I think I think if we can we can bring a lot of young players are coming through. We we look at the Irish international squad, and so many of them. 50-60% of them have some sort of a League of Ireland background so we are the, the league is important to the, you know to the to the senior international team and I think we're starting to see joint up thinking within the FEI um, obviously Stephen is coach but not just that the underage coaches have a real link with academy managers and they know what's going on they know who the next talent is under 15s, 17s, 19s and they're there is pathway. Look, we've huge amount of improvement, but I think the biggest improvement we would need to make is facilities and how people train. It's the most participated sport in the country, and we're just way behind everybody else. Yeah, once like once the power is unleashed, it's going to be unstoppable. That's the thing. It's like it, it really feels like um, a few strategic investments would make a huge quantum leap forward. But what, you you will sit in here in a couple of years and you'll say you'll have a discussion from a journalist maybe from Iceland or from North Macedonia. How did you do it in football? And they took some hard decisions and it took some time and they took four, five, six, eight years to build towards uh, something great. And I'm, I'm not saying we're on that path. Who knows, we may have made mistakes or there may be things wrong. But we have to start somewhere and we have to upset a few people. Some people are going to be browned off and we've seen that. We've seen that with the link the schoolboys and the League of Ireland clubs. And, but we have to like we have to start somewhere, and and maybe twelve years time or sixteen years time we'll say oh that's when it started, and maybe an Irish journalist will be on 
uh, a Macedonian radio station explaining how we done it. Yeah. Because we we, we can uh, punch above our weight. Uh, no doubt about it. I do think people want to go and watch. That's the other thing. Like if the if if Tala proves anything, if you build it, they will come. And that that stadium gets used for multi sports, uh, multi teams. Yeah. And there's an opportunity there. Like. It'll be really interesting. To see if what there was one little error, and I'm reluctant to be critical of Tala, it's amazing. If there's one little error, I'd say, uh, being from Tala, is that it's probably not multi-use enough. Right. So one of the main stands, for example, if the council were building that again, could they have built a boxing club underneath the stand so it's used all week for the community and people yeah. will get a better sense of community, um, or. The Irish Dancing, even for argument's sake, club uses that in the evening time. That would be the only little criticism of, of Talib. But it's amazing that the local council have supported a local club. And when I was going to the game last night, travel from City West down, you see people coming out of housing estates, kids, and even on a Monday night, yeah. that's what we want. Um, if there was 100 kids there watching the game last night, they weren't on the streets uh, wrecking the heads of the guards where they, they were doing what we want them to do and particularly on Friday nights and big games you see them coming out of the local areas Springfield, Kilnarden, Jobstown I grew up in Kilnarden so I'm allowed to say difficult areas but that community has something a beacon, them lights if you're ever up in Tala um, because it's built onto a hill the lights of Tala Stadium and, and I don't want to sound real grand here but no, they, do, they do light up the area yeah. they do do and um, I think it's a, it, it's a it's a bit of hope and other councils can learn from it. Um, we see you know the RSE in Waterford is is a really good facility. There's not enough of them around and and I know we're trying with Daly Mount and Tolka and that's a whole big other issue. But it, we need councils around the country to help us. Two small atmospheric stadiums uh, that are full every week would be would be class because as we saw from uh, was it Ireland Luxembourg that stadium was like yeah. six thousand or eight thousand the stadium the atmosphere was class. Well, I was in I watched Linfield and Narn in Windsor Park and I've I've taken Dundalk to Windsor Park. Windsor Park is the be- and I've played games in the Aviva Stadium, Tallis Stadium. Windsor Park's the best ground in on the island. It is an amazing theatre. You would think it's a thirty. As a player, I've been in big so stadiums. Right. It's it's just the the amphitheater, the way it's designed. I've been to some grounds all over Europe, twelve thousand in Estonia. Um, I think it's only an eight thousand seater, but you feel like you're in a stadium the size of Aviva. Clever building, not mad money can can get really good stadiums. And I think, as you said, two or three stadiums. The, again, this is what going back to the point. Some people got to take a bit of pain and, and maybe lose out on a stadium and share with somebody else and no reference to Tolka Park or Daly Mountain that one trust me because I think I think the two of them should stay in my opinion but we do need to make some big decisions and, and get some better stadiums and people go on about oh why aren't games on TV I think it's more than that it, to be fair to the likes of RTE or whoever they're probably setting up the cameras on the top of chip vans at this stage. We've got to do better with our facilities first and then we can complain about coverage. I do want to ask you about Sligo and uh, the quality of their performances. You were at the game. Um, Pats were coming off the back of a... Uh, was it impressive? It's hard to know because the weather conditions were so terrible against Shells and, and Shells were decent in parts of that game. But it was a 3-0 win. that You're always going to take that and they would have bounced into that game pretty confident uh, on the back of what happened last season. Obviously a new management, but at the same time, the core of that team, some of the, those most important players still there. So a big win for Sligo on Friday night. Yeah, I thought that 
As I said, um, it was the most impressive I've seen. The, uh, Aidan Kenneth started up front for them and he'd lost John Kenny to Celtic and I was a little bit worried. But they were excellent and, and the one thing about them was it sounds, it sounds pretty basic, but they were so organised, so fit early in the season. Um, uh, Adam McDonald in midfield, just brilliant, really ran the game for them. And they just looked like Will Fitzgerald, Carlo Sullivan from Finn Harps looked like he's benefited going full-time. And so many of these clubs are full-time now. I think the, the advantage of that, we've got real athletes in the league now. And um, they were really impressive. I haven't seen them last night, obviously, before points out too. If they win effectively the game in hand, we'd be talking about someone who's had the best start of the season. Well, I was going to say, it's, it's four points from two games, but it's two tough games. Yeah. Like away a to Pats and uh, Derry, who we expect to go pretty close this season. So, Yeah, and, and it's sometimes, as spoke earlier on about momentum, sometimes momentum just carries you. You go on a run, and as a footballer, you, you believe you're 10 foot tall. I remember when I played at Longford Town, we, had a, we just had a year or two where everything just went and you just felt... You know, when a cup came along, we knew we, we were going to win, win. Yeah. and it just happens. And um, if we knew why, the psychology of sport, uh, we'd be very rich people. But Sligo, uh, really impressive. They haven't overly changed their squad compared to others, and maybe that's an advantage at the start of the season as well. If you think of of other changes, so many changes in other squads. Uh, is success for Shelburne staying up? Is that enough for? Uh, it's not enough for Duffer, obviously, but it is success. I think, yeah, I think, I think the full-time element of some of the other clubs, um, you know, Derry, Pats, Sligo, uh, means that it is difficult, particularly when you go Friday, Monday. Um, I watched them against Pats, and I know people felt that um, they they created some chances, etc. It just looked like Pats were a level above full-time. You just looked the level above. Uh, Shelbourne but um, I think staying up and, and building that club back up to where it belongs uh, is is the best route for them It's not an overnight thing it's not a one season thing like it's definitely going to take time Yeah I think so and I think um, you, you just have to look so, some of their players like as well the young players uh, young Moylan was at Wexford last year Eric Dervin was at Longford um, they just look like players who need another season Premier Division football uh, and, and grow from there and I think that's the importance of it and um, um, all, albeit a, a Duffer will have usually high standards I think fourth, fifth in the league would be real success for them Just to go back to, to Sligo for a second because you were talking about the stadiums there and the sort of the Luxembourg example like Sligo's probably going to be the, the, the redevelopment of the showgrounds is going to be that one isn't it like 6,000 seater stadium they've got their sports capital grant announced last month and also the fact that it is this base outside of Dublin which could become a real hub for people in the west of Ireland I don't want to put Galway into that category but yeah. uh, outside of Galway in the west of Ireland with this shiny new stadium which is going to have live action on a, on a Friday night Yeah and I think Sligo deserve huge credit because they had got some success um, earlier on in maybe 2000 and what was it 6-7 around that time and they invested the money into stands and and it really is an impressive ground already. It's almost there. I think we played a, a cup, FEI Cup semi-final there in 2019 and the atmosphere was huge. That That is a town that has grabbed the football community. I think some of the GEA guys complain sometimes that 
they struggle with the soccer, don't they? I well, think that was, heard that. Yeah, that was uh, Tony McEntee's line. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which <clears> is great. It's great for us. Like, which is, it's so not the norm around the rest of the country in terms of all right in the big cities. So I think Sligo, the way that the club is run, um, the finances are always well in place. The community get behind it. They, they seem to raise a huge amount of money in fundraising. And actually, um, it's almost like they run it as a for want of a better word, a GEA club to get the community behind it and that's something that we've struggled in the football community f- to get people to to buy into us in that same sense of a, of a community. You get that real sense of community around GEA. Went to my first ever GEA game, I was up watching Kill and uh, a friend of mine took over the management of Kill and he, he asked me what I thought of the game and I was like, I'd love to, I'd love to coach this, you know, in terms of positional sense. And but I said to him, I couldn't get over the amount of people who walked from the the village in to watch just a friendly game, and we don't have that same sense. Well, of you, you, I, I think, uh, like, my experience of of uh, football is far limited compared to yours. But you do have all these little filter splinter clubs, yeah, like within within a five mile radius of of shells. There's loads of little clubs that aren't aligned and that's the problem is that like all of the, the two GA clubs there's actually about five GA clubs there but they're huge yeah. and they're massive well, traditional superpowers well if, if I can on a, a, it's a bigger discussion but take somewhere like Tala the back mountain of Tala there's a club called Sacred Heart there's Newtown Rangers and there's Tala Town on the back of the hill and they all look over and they've all got different amounts of funding Tala Town had to do a lot of funding and really rebuilt their club uh, a couple of hundred thousand pound Newtown Rangers put a new Astro turf down, 350 Sacred Heart, new Astro, two floodlit pitches, and now they're either getting funding or they're close to funding. So the point to make is, if the council, the FEI, and the people that run them clubs all came together, prime land for, for building, yeah. and said, well, we need to get rid of one ground, or maybe two, and we will the build one is. super ground yeah. that we all share, one big clubhouse that if someone wants to use a meeting room, there's a printer, and we share joint up thinking. And actually, the council go and give them a hand, and all the funding is centralised instead of the parish pump element to it, where there's a hundred grand for to give you, and it's nearly good. Yeah. And instead of one super facility at the top of Tala, for me, that's the way forward, but that takes big long-term decisions and as I said maybe in 8 years 10 years time we're going we're producing footballers in Tala Hill because this we decision was made decision yeah. was made yeah. by somebody yeah alright really good stuff uh, always thoughtful thanks a million for that who's going to win the league is it, is it fairly obvious yeah I still think Rovers boy should win it will win it comfortably uh, but I just hope someone challenged them um, we haven't had that enough all right, good stuff. OTBIM is brought to you each morning live by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish. Uh, that is pretty much all we have time for. Wow, Molly Scott, not an athletics person, says Michael, but you have to admire her attitude and achievement uh, to succeed. Uh, incredibly ambitious, and it's going to take her a long way. Tomorrow, Tommy Walsh joins us to talk hurling much more. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.